Hey, boomers! Golly lollipops, it's good to be back for another episode of Sonic the Comic the Podcast, the show that gathers you up and chucks you through a big ring to the 90s via the lens of the UK's official Sonic comic, Sonic the Comic. We're the Hughes who think we're in charge. I'm Dave Bulmer. And my name is Chris McFeely, suspecting... They're good when I write them ahead, aren't they? Dave may have written it down ahead of time. (laughs) Yes, we are here with issue number 105 of Sonic the Comic, released on May the 28th, but cover dated June 10th. And uh, evil has landed, Dave. Yes, Sonic action. Sonic action. Not, not, not Sonic action. No. But Sonic action. Sonic action. action. There's no exclamation mark. mark, At least there's no full stop. (laughs) Oh, that would be so much worse, wouldn't it? Yeah. But every once in a while, just like you feel like it's something you wouldn't quite put past them. Yeah. This cover was the first of two instances where I checked that this didn't come out at Halloween. Because it's uh, the cover is uh, Nigel Dobbin, mm. and it's Robotnik with all bats. He's coming out yeah. of what looks like... I mean, you can't really tell. It kind of looks like a spooky castle, but I think it's an ancient ruin because of the story. Yeah. And uh, there's all robot bats coming out with him, and he's pointing at Sonic, who doesn't give a sh- He's just leaning <laughs> nonchalantly against a rock, looking... Oh, a little bit weird. Could that be the very first little protuberance into our dimension of the Sonic 3D head? It's not quite... It's not there no, yet, is it? No, not it's quite. Not, because we did have, uh-huh. in a recent issue, that bit with the other spike coming yeah, up did, yes. from the far side of yes. Sonic's head, which is what's going on here. We, we had a see, recent issue with Sonic spikes. <laughs> we did, and we will have many issues <laughs> in both uses of the term coming in the future. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Dobbin's definitely referencing Elson's interiors here. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, I'm getting the sense Elson lay the strip down, and then Dobbin was able to consult that yes. to create the cover here. Along the top, we've got a banner. New Amy and the Alien Actors. Oh, cheers. Spoilers. Fine. Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Decap enters the Pixie Zone. Pixie Zone. Silliness. <laughs> and uh, we've got a little badge that says Captain Plunder and the Spice Maidens. Introducing Krakiota. Krakiota? 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 Yeah. It's It's supposed to sound like Krakatoa, obviously. But it's hard to tell, yeah. Mm. Plus a Caterkiller pinup, and I will have to admit, I really did it all. Suck the teeth on this one. Oh, (laughs) yeah. International Art Zoom. Worried, worried, worried. I just went, ooh, dearie me, oh my, whenever I read (laughs) that, because it has not historically led to anything. (laughs) Good or sensitive, but it's 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 not too not bad. that bad. No, not that bad. No, <laughs> but that's the cover. We've just got the. Uh, I think we'll be seeing the old subscription coupon on the back for a while now. That's what's on the back yes. cover. So let's just go right inside. Hey, boom! No, no. Listen, I don't want to jump the gun necessarily. Okay, but um. Shittle would be a polite mm. way of describing mm-hmm. the content of this issue. <laughs> because the control zone is reflective of that. Mm-hmm. Gosh, oh golly, Megadroid tells us what's in the comic. I've genuinely no idea whether I even read this. I must have done. Yeah. Because it would have been incumbent upon me to read it when I was reading this issue for this, but... And yet. I don't remember any of it. The one point of interest mm-hmm. in the whole control zone is, mm-hmm. Megadroid says, It does my pleasure circuits the power of good to announce that next issue there'll be not one, but... Two Sonic stories in your very own Sega Pirate comic. See below for more news. 
And then yeah. the second box on the control zone is, hey, did you hear? There's going to be two Sonic stories mm. next issue. Mm. And they give us the title. The, the one extra piece of information is that it's going to be called Zero Zone. And it's genuinely quite confusing because we've had loads of times where there was two Sonic stories. Like the last few issues, for example. Yes, like, but it, those were Sonic's worlds. Yeah, so is it literally just going to be called Sonic again? I believe they call it Double Sonic. That's, that's uh, the term they start using. Uh... I think we have used on the show the term death of a thousand cuts. Why am I disappointed about that? It like it should be good. That's it. That's it. Like hey Sonic, we yeah. like Sonic. Yeah. Why wouldn't a second Sonic yeah. story excite us, right? Yeah. Because we don't want it. We simply don't. <laughs> that's that's the but simple. Why not? We want we've got four strips. Yeah. Why would we want one to be just something we're already getting in the comic whenever it could be something else. Also, there's just something in a small way psychological about it that makes both of them count less this way. Because, like, up till now, we've been like, you know, the first couple of years of the comic where you had the Sega Superstars as well. You were like, okay, and then this is what's happening to Sonic. Here's the story of Sonic unfolding. Now, if you're going to have part three of Flicky's Island, and then also another thing with Sonic, there's not continuity anymore. It's just, here, we made some stories up. We made some stories up. Here you are. It's also, it's not a new problem either. We had the same problem with the climax of the Brutus story happening in Sonic's world while Running Wild okay. was happening in the main Sonic strip. Still. Treat that way. <laughs> Still. St- but, anyway. And yeah. we had the one with the old Sonic clone happening mm. in Sonic's world while Sonic was stranded in the special zone mm, yeah. over in yeah. his main strip. You yeah. know? This is not a new problem. But there was something about the fact that it was a Sonic's world that at least allowed you to sort of space them out from one another. Mm. But now they're just... they're. It's, it's almost a sense of giving up. Mm-hmm. It's just, whatever. It's another Sonic strip. Whatever. What at this point? What makes it not a Sonic's world? Why have they chosen to with that imaginary distinction at this point? Because Sonic's there, you know. We've both talked for literally years now at this <laughs> point about how we always thought Sonic's world sort of just eventually became a second Sonic strip. Yeah. And to be fair, that transition is much less clear cut than maybe we imagine it being in our heads it's been a very slow slide raising the question what makes a sonic's world story a sonic's world story yeah uh it doesn't have sonic in it i think is the big the big thing that makes it (laughs) well yeah but they have been haven't they like but there have been loads of vegetables that that have yeah Yeah. i mean yeah it said on the cover we got amy and alien actors um we were told last issue we were getting an amy and techno strip but you know hey spoilers folks turns out it's still just a sonic's world because <laughs> we have had Amy strips before, yeah. but in this case, they've chosen to still make it a Sonic's world, which probably means they'll be a. That's probably the answer, you know. Mm. I presume there's a Sonic's world strip next issue. Yeah, and that's probably why this other Sonic strip is not a Sonic's world strip. Oh, yes, could be, could be. I wonder if all of this is pointing to, you know. Whose decision are we looking at? Are we looking at editorial or are we looking at Sega? Where someone has said, do you know what? You know, whenever Sonic's not on the screen, people People need to be be thinking, where's where's Sonic? Sonic? I don't... I've always wondered. Hmm. Because somebody obviously made a conscious decision to stop doing Sega Superstar strips. Mm -hmm. Whether it was because they felt like the era of the big headliner games from the Mega Drive was over and decided to move beyond that period. It could be that Sega weren't really producing Superstars by this era. Yeah, but you could... They could have done a nice strip. Yeah, but it wasn't that popular, though. I think what it is is just that, like, when, right, when STC started, Sega were gaming in the UK, and now PlayStation is. 
No, this is true. This is true. It'd be weird if they did a Tomb Raider strip, you know? Mm, mm. Even though it's on the Saturn and was on the Saturn before the PlayStation, I was shocked to discover, you know? And the STC, yeah, well, and the ST, I think only by a fraction of a second, but yeah. 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 But wouldn't old school STC have been great at doing a Tomb Raider comic? It truly would have, you know? You take your pick, the guys who did this comic, that comic, the other comic, Shinobi, yeah, Golden any, Axe, yeah. any of them. I'm leaning towards Brian Williamson. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. But anyway, yeah, it's a shame. Mm. And to go back to what I said at the top of the control zone, the complete absence of literally any other content in this issue, besides the strips, the reader's art, and the letters page. It's it 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 is disheartening. Mm. Um and I you know, we reflect on that interview we we did with Nigel Kitching just recently where he talked about how people think of one hundred as a before and after. Yes. Well, it's not just because of what happened in the strip. Yeah, all the further stories going forwards. Yeah, yeah, or that. It's not just that. It's the whole package of the comic. Obviously, like, all these features, we have seen them slowly been carved away yeah. before 100, but it's only post-100 that you truly feel... Because it was only, what, three issues before issue 100 that they cut the page count down. Mm. The comic is different now. And I have to not let that colour <laughs> how we talk about these stories and this art. Yeah. Yeah. But it is different now, and it is the death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. Every little bit that we look forward to each issue, adding some flavour to the show, something other than simply two guys reviewing a comic. <laughs> yeah. Because you can get that on any podcast, folks. Yeah, yeah. Slowly, slowly, one by one, being sliced away, you know? Yeah. What should we do? The Bigger Shots. And emphasizing that, there's all in the charts either. There's not a single new game in the charts. Which you will remember from last issue are, are still uh, Mega just Drive. Mega Drive and Saturn, you know? Yeah. And how long will that continue? How long will there even be charts? Not long, I wager. But Chris, it, it's funny that there's no new entries on the Saturn when the Saturn is such a huge hit in Scandinavia. You'd think that Sega of Scandinavia would be pushing all of those hot new games that they've got going on. I think you made the joke too early. <laughs> uh, one note just to make is that the Gary Knight has returned as designer this issue. Oh, hello, Gary. Yeah, so he wasn't gone or anything after he briefly stepped away last issue. Oh. So with that very gloomy beginning, shall we launch into a good wee Sonic? Yeah, go on. Flicky's Island, Part 2, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, and letters by Tom Frame. Sonic and Tails arrive on Flicky's Island, and soon discover that Dr. Robotnik has set up shop in the ancient ruins there. Robotnik has discovered that the island's giant Mobius rings are gateways to another dimension where the Flickies originate and is capturing the birds to serve as organic batteries for a new, tougher breed of badnik. It takes everything Sonic has to smash one of these new robots, and in the time it takes him, Tails is captured. Oh, look at him there in the first panel! He's gonna be Sonic Man! This feels like going back to STC to me. This this really, I was really happy with this. I remember saying last issue that Sonic had a bit of a pudge on him. Because <laughs> we were talking last issue about how there is a slide 
uh, talking about slides and changes and everything, there is a slide in the way Richard Elson draws Sonic. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling it last issue, but it feels like it's just pulled back a little this issue. Mm -hmm. He's a good wee Sonic guy there, all round and such. (laughs) Something about this whole seven pages, it does just feel like going... Yeah, remember, let's let's do one of these. Of course, it's Sonic and Tails fighting Robotnik and his badniks on an island. Of course it's Sonic and of Tails, course I didn't even Sonic. think of it. Yes. It's not just Sonic and Tails, Sonic and Tails fighting Robotnik yeah. on an island with his <laughs> robots with animals inside yeah, them. Yeah, this yeah. is classic Sonic stuff. This is great. Real back to basics in the post-100 era. Yeah. And um, straight away what they do... And look, there's a biplane. Well, yes, that's right, yeah. No, I was going to say straight away what they do. Actually, yeah, the first thing that they do is we have this little introduction page where they, they land the plane on the island. It's a bit of a bit of a throwaway first page, actually, really. It's just Tails saying that he's distancing himself from the Flicky's tweets. After I suspect he said something off-colour. <laughs> Starting to wonder if this is going to pay off in any form. Yes, me too. There's a lot of chat about it. Because we had that, we had the gag last issue where it's like, Sonic's like, oh, you speak tweet, do you? Yeah. And, and Tears goes, matter of fact, I do. Mm. Uh, but no, we carry it on into the first page of this issue. And the second page. Where Tails walks it back a little and says, well, the Flicky didn't exactly talk to me. I just sort of... I get a feeling of what he's saying. It's hard to explain. Some kind of telepathy, huh? Mm. And I'm like, well, is that... Is he setting something up there? Is that going to come to anything? Yes, I wonder. And I don't don't remember it coming to anything. No, well, that's the thing, you know. We're well at a point now where I think, collectively, we might remember about six things that happen (laughs) in the entire rest of Sonic the Comic between us. I'm getting there's a fish. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's that's one of them. (laughs) Um... But then we turn the page and Sonic is facing this ancient ruin. Which is the second zone second of Sonic zone. 3D. Exactly. Yeah. This is another Which is example. Called what? The, rust, the, the Rusty Ruin. ruin. Rusty Ruin. Yes, rusty it should ruin. be Rustic Ruin. I bet that's... I've always wondered why it's called Rusty Ruin. I bet it was meant to be called Rustic Ruin. No, it's a British game. It's not mistranslated, is it? Oh, uh, no. Hmm. Anyway. I'll have to, Do you know what? The bloke who made it is quite approachable on the internet. We'll have to ask him find out. I wouldn't. <laughs> Why not? Because that's that's the sort of question that you should just be shoved into a locker for asking. Right, yeah, yeah that's fair, actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> here's another example of what we love about Nigel's game adaptations, right? He usually plays the game, but instead of just rushing to write down everything that happens in it in order, he waits till he finds something that grips him as a storytelling opportunity. And in this case... You got the ancient ruins from the Rusty Ruin Zone. Mm. Much respect to, for instance, the late Archie Sonic CD adaptation, for example, that I, that was made to read for another podcast. Made to read these stresses. Well, I wouldn't have read any Archie otherwise, but in its haste to cover all the stuff from the game, it kind of forgot that it ought to read like a story, whereas Nigel goes the other way. And previously, when there's been enough story in the game that he's adapting, it kind of they do read like faithful adaptations. This time, Mm. the game being pretty empty of story stuff, we're just going to see what Nigel comes up with when he's going off book, but based on something he was inspired by in the game. Old Ruin. Great, we'll go with that. And there is a very immediate payoff to that, I think, next issue. That's one of the six things we remember. Yeah, oh yeah! Oh, is that next issue? I think so. But meanwhile... Yeah, but they go in the ruin, and hey, there's Robotnik, and what a panel, by the way. Oh my god. Did you miss me, Sonic? (laughs) How better to reintroduce the villain than to have him lurch out of an ancient ruin surrounded by robot bats? I mean, come on. And this is what the cover was alluding to, but look at it here. Like, Elson's got his little bicycle pump out and he's pumped Robotnik up, and he? 
He's filled him up. I think we've said on the show before, it be a long time ago since we last said it, and I feel like it's a general sentiment uh-huh. that Elson really made the adventures Robotnik design his oh, own. yes. He found the way to truly make that oh, yes. genuinely menacing, not a silly cartoonman. Yeah, somehow. And here it is. Uh, yeah. And it is by puffing up bits of it, you know, the huge <laughs> shoulders, Enormous. turning him from being a big egg. A big egg. With a pinhead on it. Mm. I didn't even mean to say big egg there. That was, <laughs> that was 100% unintentional. He's now this... Brick house, yeah. frankly. You wouldn't cross them. No. It's remarkable you can do that with what is basically circles. Like, those shoulders are mm. balls. He's just he's just a huge ball. But I don't know how. I d- you just got to see this one, listeners. Just look it up. But it's, it's all camera angles. Too. Oh, like, yeah. He's absolutely towering over Sonic mm. here. It's like, it's like, we know that he couldn't because Sonic is fast. But there is... The genuine sense here that if he could get his hands on Sonic, yeah. Sonic would be in some bloody trouble. It's um, it's Kingpin, isn't it? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Of course. That thing where if he could just catch him, he can squash Approximately him. Approximately 2% of his body mass is fat. Yeah. And then there's a little head somewhere down in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> the one... I'm hesitant to call it unfortunate, but it is the one thing that kind of jumped out at me when you see how uh, Nigel is like, oh, there's a level with ancient ruins. I can do something mm-hmm. with that, you know? How it does appear that Elson did not have any reference for the actual in-game badniks. Yeah, yeah. It's just some monsters. He's drawn some bats and some He's drawn some things. bats and some monkeys. And there is... There is a caterpillar-looking one sort of floating around, and there are well, yeah, ones. But that's Sonic, no, but there are ones in Sonic 3D that look like that. Yeah. There are caterpillar-style badniks in Sonic 3D. There are in every Sonic game. That's a fair bet. Well, it feels like it could be more of a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's like if you were doing a Mario adaptation, you drew a turtle. There probably will be one. <laughs> there is a bat somewhere in Sonic 3D, but it doesn't look like. Of course, this. there is. Again, every Sonic game there is. But yeah, the, these are definitely. He's just made them up. It is the one slightly offbeat in a story that is otherwise pulling all it can out of a game that really has very little to offer. Yeah. One of the ways that you can tell when Badniks and SCC are made up is that they are silver Uh, (laughs) instead of being interesting colours. I was trying to figure out if they were silver as a device, you know, as a colouring device to put them in the background background, because it's like you see ones further in the background here are purple Mm. and then some are green in other panels, but, but they do no, they do appear to be Grey deliberately, I, th- I think. I, I really can't tell. It's grey in just enough panels. Yeah, I think that, they're grey. That it seems like a choice. I think yeah. they're grey. They're always grey. Like so even when then, every time you see them, they yeah, they're in a position where they could be coloured to be background or less important than the foreground things. But I think mm. they're grey. But except for the panel where Sonic's fighting through them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but even then, maybe. But like, well, not the uh, the two in the background. Yeah, but not the one he's actually mm. putting up his dukes against. Yeah. That one is that's foreground stuff. Yeah. But anyway, what they definitely do is they absolutely communicate, like, the next level, worse badniks, these ones are going to be a bit nastier to you, because they've got... Yeah, they are nasty. Yeah, they've yeah. got the full-on Elson angry eyes, the one bigger, one smaller look to them. <laughs> I like this bit, just when you mention Elson again, I feel like a lot of this issue is just like, whoa, Richard Elson, though, whoa. Yeah. But look at the last panel on that page, uh, Robotnik's like, as it happens, you're just in time to witness something rather interesting, and he gestures to one of the big rings. From, yeah. from from Sonic, Sonic 3D. 3D, like from the horizontal game. ring um, this time. The first time we've had a horizontal sort of big ring instead of a vertical one. Because in the games, Sonic rounds up the flickies. Yes, you're bopping badniks, getting birds out of badniks, get the bird out of them. They follow you, dropping them in the hoop, and then you grab the loop and you do a swing round on the loop. Um, mm. But Tails holds Sonic back a second. Let's see what we're up against. And 
Somehow, God love this little beast. Somehow the flicky is Elson posing. It's got one wing whipped around in front of it and one wing flapped out behind it. We've got two arms. There's only so many things you can do. Like, he can't be the only artist who draws this pose, surely, can he? But that's the point. Well, we've made that point on the show before, you know. Some, why, would the, why would the bird be doing that instead of holding its two arms out to flap? It is the yeah, resting pose of a Richard Elson character. I, yeah, I don't know. It's just the art's just really firing on all cylinders. It's Sonic and Tails and Robotnik. It, it just it feels like a real coming home, a real return to basics. Yes. And you know it's deliberate and that Nigel has recognised that because Tails isn't, doesn't really feature in the game. So if you were doing just an adaptation, you go, oh, Sonic's off on his own for this one. And, you know, now and then Tails and Knuckles might pop in and say something. But no, he's gone, no, you want Tails. You want to put Tails with this guy. That's what you do. We have commented on the unfortunate lack of Sonic and Tails team-up stories. Mm. It's just nice to have Mm. one now. Just in the post-100 era. Lovely, yeah. Why wouldn't they hang around? The planets at peace? They're friends. Oh, yeah. They're just being friends because I was thinking... They have weird adventures separately. Yeah. They they were even hanging out in the Tails strip. Oh, yeah. We just had uh, the the last two issues where Sonic and Tails were... That's it. You've hit it. Because normally, in the last, I don't know, sort of like 50 issues, you would expect Sonic to go to a new thing with Johnny and Amy. Mm. And Tails, maybe. Might be there, but yeah. But yeah, no, they're just friends now. They're not, they don't have to be freedom fighters anymore. Sonic doesn't have to put up with those scrubs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> those hangers on. It's just quite nice. It's a real it is. classic-y, Sonic-y story type of feeling. Yeah. It is, and it really affirms the Sonic-Tails friendship that we have always said is forever. IDST. Five ever. <laughs> a Robotnik saying he'd always planned to investigate the mysteries of the island, but he's had to speed up his plans a little. Yeah, ever since we threw you out. Oh, don't be so sure, Spike Paul. One day I will rule again. I love that they're just standing, shouting at each other instead of Sonic barreling head on into him. <laughs> but that's because Robotnik has dropped this device through the Mobius ring and it hasn't come out the bottom Mm -hmm. Uh, because as Robotnik explains that that didn't occur to me at all to be surprised by no but that's because we know what they are yeah yeah (laughs) it might be because it's got a glow coming out of it as well Well, that too it is yes (laughs) yes. yes. we've always wondered where the flickies go they're only ever seen on this island for a few weeks every year well I found out they come from a different dimension and now I know how to catch them and i did double check yes the idea that the flickies come from a different dimension we were pondering last yeah. issue that's right out of the game right out of the right. opening cinematic uh-huh. for the game it clearly explains flickies come from another dimension a dimension of ladders and cats um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a reference to the original flicky game and that's the really the most important thing here that is the big hook it doesn't <gasps> it doesn't necessarily feel like it right now but as we will see in very short order, I feel like sometimes in the course of discussing these last two issues, we keep talking about what's coming. Mm. But that is kind of the... If there's a problem with this Flicky's Island story, that's it. Yes, I suppose so. It's really using a game with only the lightest sprinkling of its own mm-hmm. ideas to facilitate the introduction of something mm. that will inform the whole rest of Sonic the Comics' life. Yes, it's a bit of a stepping stone. Get excited for that, folks, I guess. Yeah. You know, we won't tell you what exactly, so keep... 
Hold back the spoilers. There's plenty to get excited about about it. Mm. So yeah, do do look forward to that. But yeah, Kitching is using this dimensional mechanic. That's the means by which this threat is going to be introduced. Mm. That's why then, simply the rest of this strip is Sonic fights some badniks for two and a half pages. Yeah, just to show they're a bit stronger, show those off. But generally speaking, overall... This feels right to me. Like, I know this game adaptation is an unusual one, which it has in common with the game itself, because it's an unusual Sonic game. But this is feeling to me like STC should feel. We are heading into something big with this, and it and it feels like we are. And we're heading into it with a sort of best of Nigel Kitching's mm-hmm. STC game adaptations. They're on an island. There's things that are only in this world for a short while every month or yes, whatever that's, it is. That's very miracle planety, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, part of me is surprised that that's not the link That it's not to do with them going to the Miracle Planet or something But what it is, is something that Nigel's got in mind That he didn't seed ages ago But that retroactively he turns something he did ages ago mm-hmm. into a seed And uh, we'll, we'll obviously flag that up when we get there But that's all stuff we'll talk about next issue When it actually appears on the page like I say, this is the problem with this three-parter. Mm. It's all about what it's using the game to set up. But God bless it for that. Mm. It is, as you yeah. say, it is a quintessentially STC-ish approach. It uses the games, even with something, as we've said in the past, as something as simple as Captain Plunder, as weird and mm-hmm. outside as, and, and apart from the world of Sonic as that character and his whole thing has come to feel, he was still introduced by going, Pirates, hmm. Mystic Cave Zone. They were still introduced and grounded in the world of Sonic out of something from the games. And mm-hmm. here, this is what we, you know, what's coming down the pipe is, it's. I don't mean to be dismissive in any way when I say it, but what feels like maybe the last huge, big original idea Nigel Kitching has for STC, you know what I mean when I say big idea, here we have being introduced through the means of a game. Yeah. They use what is served up in the newest game to bring it into the world. And you wouldn't catch Archie doing that. <laughs> Interesting that we're covering Sonic 3D with this story, and they haven't yet enforced the UK cover design mm. um, from the game. We're still this is still the original Scandinavian design of Sonic um, <laughs> that's being used here for the uh, <laughs> for the model. Don't worry, folks; it's going to make sense later. <laughs> but no, it is interesting, isn't it? That, that we know that we all know, listeners. If you don't know. They're going to have to start drawing him like the Sonic 3D box art soon, and it ruins everything. It ruins the comic. It's it, horrible. It's awful, and it just is. It's a genuine. It's another one of the many cuts of the thousand. Yeah, uh, it's one of the bigger ones. And yeah. But it's nice that this isn't sullied by that. The final game. Oh, what could have been the final game adaptation? <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, imagine how less classic this whole thing would feel mm. if Sonic Spikes were going the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> Which which doesn't sound like it would be such a big thing, but God, it, it is though. It is so much, and I'm I know it has to be. We got to be this close to it at this point, and I'm dreading it, Dave. Mm, I know. Like I'm not going to mind it so much when other artists do it, but when yeah. when our Lord and Savior Richard Elson has to do it, <laughs> our Lord and Savior Richard. Gosh, this is a mixed bag of an episode, isn't it? It's like we're talking about everything that's coming and not what's actually in the script. Yes, yeah, sorry, zone, everybody. Right? Do you know? I, I I happen to know as well. I say no. Maybe this is apocryphal, but I feel like I know this. Another mandate that Sega made. God, we have to say those words together. I don't mm. like it, but at some point they started saying Sonic can never be shown gritting his teeth because Did they, they didn't have. Well, it wasn't well. 
So it wasn't Sega in those days. There was a company in between Sega and STC yes. called, I believe, Copyright Promotions, who were literally, that was their job. These were the guys who enforced the use of the... Yeah, they, they just, their whole existence was to just be like, we here's the IP, we're the middlemen, we've got these model shots, do that. Just seeing them in the indicia here, yes. Copyright Sega Enterprises Limited, licensed by Licensed Copyright by. Promotions Limited. So it was their job to go, okay, well, we've got these pictures of Sonic. Are they drawing it like that? Yes, no. And the trouble is, they got the wrong end of the stick, read the Sonic 3D uh, cover. But another thing is that they didn't have any drawings of Sonic with his teeth gritted, so they kept telling Richard Elson, like, you can't draw that, stop drawing that. And I, want, and I don't know when in the comic that happens, but I wonder if this is when it happens. Because yeah, be looking look out at, for it. Look at how many times, just in the last two pages of this, there are like, there's one on each page where it's like, that looks to me like a teeth gritted pose, but, yeah. that's had, but that's had a tongue painted on. Like he's got I could genuinely see him having his teeth gritted in a lot of, of these. Side of the mouth. It's the shape that Rich would draw for him having his teeth gritted, but it's an open mouth. And you wonder why it would be an open mouth. It's a slightly unusual expression. Uh, but you know what I gotta say, though? Yeah. I like his open mouth. I like it more than <laughs> I like all of these panels more than if he had his teeth gritted in them. He got a pretty mouth in this issue. <laughs> I just find a conspicuous lack of teeth anywhere in this issue, so I wonder if this is when. But I've got—I don't know that for sure. Interesting point, though. Interesting point. Yeah. Something to keep an eye out for. Genuinely. Yeah. Next issue: the power of Robotnik. Oh, all right. Look at this. It's a Sonic story where Sonic's busy smashing robots, and when that happens, Robotnik kidnaps Tails. This yes. could have been written in yes, four yes, years ago. Yes. Like, and I didn't. I genuinely like didn't put that together until we were sitting here talking about it. Yeah. I think that's a big part of the appeal that's going on here, it, and that's perfectly like congruous with Sonic 3D. Yeah, which you know maybe back in the day felt a little empty because we'd just come out the back of a bunch of games that actually had a story to them yeah. and this was just Sonic runs around in, in a world and bops robots and gets the animals out of them. It's a total yeah. classic. But whether purposefully or simply coincidentally Kitching has really mirrored brought out that classic early Sonic vibe yeah. with what Ian Nelson are doing in this and um, I'd be a filthy liar if I told you I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to this. It really gives us something to... It gives us a, a rope to pull ourselves along on mm. when the rest of this issue may be considered a bit flimsy-ish. Captain Plunder and the Spice Arr. Maiden! Arr. Three. Written by Nigel Kitchen. Heart oh. By Nigel Dobbin. Letters by Elena Fell. Plunder and his crew set sail for Skull Island, home of the legendary sea serpent Krakiota, who knows the location of the treasure Zorabel seeks. But when they get there, the sea monster turns out to be rather a bit smaller than expected. Krakiota will answer only three questions, and when Plunder accidentally wastes them, it looks like the quest is over before it can begin. Until the Serpent is convinced to ban the rules after the pirates threaten to turn him in a fish stew. Um, no, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy this. Oh, right. Because something about your tone of voice suggests that you might be saying that. It, it's funny, <laughs> but it is. Start to finish, uh -huh. a collection of jokes 
just taken from somewhere else. Well, it's Jokes a classic bit, all... isn't it? It's not just one classic bit, though, is it? Mm-hmm. It's a couple of them <laughs> just regurgitated. The huge, fearsome monster mm. turns out to be a little guy that sits in the palm of your hand. <laughs> I will answer only three questions. What are you on about? That's yeah. one, and, you yeah, know, yeah. and the person that whole bit wastes all the questions with it, and 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 that's it. That's the strip. Uh-huh. And I and I also can't help but notice that this the Spice Maidens have no role in this chapter. Oh yes, that's true. You know, for them being the title characters of the yes. strip, where the idea is like that they are the story, uh, which has been you know perfectly true of the first yep. two parts so yeah, far. Yeah. This could be the first part of a completely unrelated Captain Plunder story because they, the setup of the characters in the first two, informs nothing that happens here. Yes, you would think if you were writing this one, the the temptation would be, you know, even if you were going to have an entire episode of gagging around, which I think is perfectly acceptable to do with Captain Blood. Yes, yes. You'd think that you'd be interested in making that be about them and the havoc they're causing on the ship. Yeah. Now, we have this serial generally is leaning on the idea which has not, you know, previously been, like, textually expressed before, that Captain Plunder is a big cock-up. Yes. Uh, so, obviously, that's why he's the one who messes up asking the questions. Mm-hmm. But you would think, just as a through-line, it would probably make more sense if it was the five Spice Girls stumbling over one another, wasting the questions. Uh, yes. You know, yes. one of them asks one of them, shut up, you're talking nonsense, no, I'll be the one that... And, and they, would, they would, bouncing back and forth between them, Yes. get it wrong, you know? Yes. And then the, the smartest one of them, which uh, I'm not sure which one that is yet. <laughs> no, we don't really know them yet, do we? Would be the one who actually asks the final question, because the way the whole gag pays off is the sea serpent says, I can only answer three questions. Plunder, bemused by the fact he's so teeny tiny and can hold him in the palm of his hand <laughs> when legend has claimed that he is a monster who has killed ships. Well, not just legend. I thought it was a really good gag with the reveal of the map. When Zorabel unfurls the map, which we saw behind the next issue text last time. Mm. Um, and we can now confirm that it contains Elson's Island, Stringer's Strait and Kitchen Cove, of mm. course. I don't know why we didn't guess yes. those. Um, the, the monster depicted on the map is most of the map. I found that really funny. Yeah, and he lives on Skull Island. Island. And when they get there, Skull Island is a small, vaguely skull-shaped yeah. rock that this little <laughs> mudskipper sits on top of. <laughs> it's so little. I did, I did yeah. find that very funny. Artistically, it's a good payoff to the gag. Yes. Where we have the Spice Maiden like peering through the looking glass, the spyglass, and, and we see the serpent's <laughs> face reflected in it. And then it's a huge panel... Uh, of the reveal yes. of this little speck Oh, I didn't think of, of that. Dobbin's dedicated most of a page to this tiny little thing. <laughs> to how to most of the page is the rock and this little guy just sitting on top of it. Oh, Dobbin. But yeah, so Plunder is bemused about this, so he says, Are you sure you're a cracky Ota? I most certainly am. You have two questions remaining. <laughs> that was never a question. What are you playing at? I'm not playing at anything. Only your final question remains. And then Zorabel steps in to ask, uh, do you know where the, the Akotech treasure, which is what they're looking for, do you know where it is hidden? And he says, <laughs> yes. I <laughs> lulled at yes. <laughs> that, that was funny. Yes, that was good. That was, that yes. was a good payoff. <laughs> To a bit, I knew it was coming anyway. Yeah, but that was genuinely funny. And to me. bit like, yeah, that that's part of the bit. But it's something about the lettering, something about the placement of it in the page. Yes, yes, it was really there. Is there is an appropriate use of a full stop? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I feel like that 
might have just maintained the through line of what the serial is supposed to be about a little better yeah. if it were the Spice Girls doing this. Yes. And and one of them, instead of Zorabelle, was the one who did it. You know, Because otherwise what we have is a, a, a plunder Zorabelle double act strip here. Yeah, really the only bit of Spice Maiden that we get, um, and I did laugh at this, is again, it's on the second page where they unveil the map and he's like, you, you mean the same crackhead who destroyed a hundred warships de- devouring entire crews? And one of the Spice Maidens, I don't have last issue to hand. We haven't committed their names to memory, <laughs> sorry. It's like, well listen, if there was no survivors and nobody saw it happening, how do we know it's true? <laughs> Where's the story come from? Nobody tried to get clever with me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I found that funny. That's the one thing we know about a Spice Maiden so far. But Filch could have said that, you know? Yeah. Yes. How interesting. We're three parts into what I assume is a six-part story, and I'm not going to be, like, on watch to see what kind of a role they're going to have in the story going forward. They're the title characters. Mm. The first two parts were dedicated to introducing them and convincing Plunder to get them on the ship, and there was the payoff of the gag and everything, and you'd just like to think that they would have more to do in the story and be involved in its major beats and how it pays off. So I'm just going to be... It's on It's on notice now. But as a read, it's enjoyable. This is a perfectly good read. Yeah. Well, where be it, Hidden Man? Sorry, your last question. Sometimes he speaks like Yoda, and other (laughs) times he doesn't. Sorry, your last question you have already used. (laughs) Right, I asked you where the treasure be hid. No, you didn't. You asked me if I knew where it was hidden. Yes, unusual to dedicate the last page to explaining the joke on the second to last page, isn't it? A little bit, right, yeah. Like, we got it. We got it. It's no good, your majesty. Little Runt obviously ain't gonna answer any more questions. <laughs> you got something in mind, Plunder? And then we see... <laughs> okay, this is good. Yes, Simpson, last panel, little time jump, Simpson has plopped Krakiota in a, in a big cooking cauldron yeah. and is getting ready to turn him into a fish stew. With his book of quick fish dishes by Rick Swine, which I didn't like, get. Like Rick Chris Stein, did. I the chef remember. Rick Stein, who Wikipedia tells me is mm. known for seafood and such. Uh, get out of oh, there's a uh, picture of a pig. Swine, because he's a pig, like a pig, pig swine. There's a picture of a pig on the front of the animals book. Animals in Mobius. So animals. Pig. Ain't much flesh on him, is there? Oh, I reckon he won't make much more than a starter. <laughs> well, maybe he could bend the rules just this once. Next issue at last. The Akotech Treasure. Yes. There's a little feeling of maybe space for an extra part was found during the writing of this. <laughs> Pinch, right? Because there's... We'll, again, now we'll see what the rest of the story, mm-hmm. how, how it goes, what way it unfolds. Maybe this little fellow will come along with them. I'd love that. Yeah. But, yes, it does feel a little disconnected from what... Because if they do just go and find the treasure mm-hmm. and don't bring this little guy with them, mm-hmm. then, yeah, there was very little reason that we couldn't have just gone from where we left off to that now, without this little side quest in the middle. Yeah, could have just been a treasure map to the treasure. To the treasure. when And it's not like I'm averse to a little fun side quest, <laughs> but it just stands out to me when the side quest sidelines the characters that the strip is notionally supposed to be about. Yeah. So I was just thinking, when, when you said you're not averse to a little side quest, and I imagined you, you know, going off to the news agents to get pastels in time for an episode or something. Ching! Pastels! Well, I have to get the pastels for the blacksmith so he'll let me use his forge so that I can get the shield. So that you can trade the shield for a pack of pastels to eat during an episode. Exactly. Wait a minute. <laughs> Never noticed Zorabelle's got a lovely big jewel inset in the wheel of her wheelchair before now. That makes it a, a pirate queen wheelchair, I guess. Oh, yeah. I never did notice that before. Yeah. Mm. 
that thing on her lap doesn't look any more like anything this issue does it remember we were debating oh, yes. exactly you thought it was a frog last issue I but i remembered previous uh, it, it's still very frog like here but i think i remember in previous issues it looked more like uh oh yes uh a big basking lizard of some sort yeah the komodo dragon yeah or something, that's the one yeah, yeah. That's funny, isn't it, that she's got one of those. Captain Plunder's got... Maybe every pirate has to have one of those. Just a little, You've got to have a familiar. Little, it's one of the things about being a pirate, right? guy that sits on you, yeah. <laughs> little guy that sits on you. <laughs> Simpson would absolutely sit on Plunder's shoulder if Plunder would allow it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners are unable to see the little guys that sit on us. but uh, Nobody just else is either, funnily enough, you know, but I, I swear he's there. <laughs> I've always said he's there. Nobody believes me, though! Nobody believes me! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll show them! I'll show them all! That's probably the beat to get off Plunder on. (laughs) Uh, We got the Raven Raspberry Mask ad again, Mm -hmm. and uh, that is on the back of the... Pinup! Is it one of the worst ones yet? Well, I mean, how many times have we said that? Yeah, but... Yeah. I feel like every time we say it, it's true. Yeah. So it only just changes with time. Here's my problem with it. This caterpillar. there's a couple of things that I disagree with about the depiction of the caterpillar here. Mm-hmm. One is that it has that strange little thin jaw slice. Yeah, the jaw flap, yeah. And the other, those eyelids look so flesh-based. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they look like flesh eyelids and I'm, ooh, they, they look, they look like when a, you know, when a boy turns his eyelids inside out. <laughs> I mean, if I have a grievance with it, it's that it's flipping blue. Caterpillars are purple. Well, I mean that's the big one to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what color caterpillars' antennas, jaws, and eyes are, but I would assume yellow. I'm looking now. The uh, balls are yellow. The jaws are just the same purple. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it has a, and, and the underbelly of the thing is grey. Look, whatever way you slice it, Ferran Rodriguez has done it wrong. He's done <laughs> it wrong again. Aww. He's really nice. <laughs> and all he's done is, he's done it, he's just pasted it five times. One big one in the center, and then two out, uh, one in each of the four quadrants, corners of the pinup, and they're mirrored. Well, that won't be him, will it? That'll be the designers. You know what? You're right, actually. That is, that's a good point that I've genuinely never thought about before. Really? They've sort of been blaming him for these in their entirety. Oh, this whole time I thought we were both talking about the designers taking his drawings. And... Well, I've never, I guess I've never really thought about it. Mm, but, yeah. but yeah, no, th- this would be more, because we, we did think, didn't we? Yes, that this is the artwork he created for the Bad Nick Spock cards yeah. that, that they didn't make any more of, mm. even though they said they were going to. And yeah, the designers would be the ones who are taking these and doing this with them. Mm. Gary Knight. Gary Knight must answer for his crimes. <laughs> but he's done a lot of good stuff too, so so sure. I'll let him off. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many more of these I can take before I have to send them to The Hague, but... Uh... <laughs> What I don't know, without, you know, firing up the actual game, is do caterpillars do you ever see eyelids on them? Because I'm seeing a lot of caterpillar art where you do see eyelids, just on Google. But the sprite and the original design don't seem to have that, and I yeah, don't know when it be, came in. That would simply be to create expressions. Well, possibly, you know? but I, I don't think you need one. Well, you know, just to make angry eyes, you gotta have... Well, you got, they've got eyebrows! Yeah, yeah, but I mean, the, when the eyebrows come down, the yeah. tops of the eyes gotta slide in as well and and in this day and age of three-dimensional graphics <laughs> you know you're gonna have an eyelid come down over the eyeball which yes. will be protruding out from the head mm. Ach, enough of this anyway protrude us back into the right. past oh trip to the oh, oh. i have a bad case of diarrhea i have a bad case of diarrhea i have a bad case of diarrhea 
welcome to the Diary Zone, the section of the podcast where I drag you back into the past and we crack open my teenage diary from the very fortnight that this issue was released. And as with last episode, that is immediately apparent because Thursday, the 29th of May, 1997, says, Got STC-105, Flicky's Island Part 2. Now, I, I pass no further comment. Honest. No review included. No, sadly not. But you can see that it uh, it affects me because of what the next one, which is mm. Friday the 30th of May. Writing novelization of Flicky's Island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got it! Yes! Yep. He didn't even wait for the third part to come out before he got started. Well, because it's slightly different. So um, actually what it says is, and I have to translate this for you. It says, started writing Metafuse as a fanfic. Okay, but I can translate that because I can remember what Metafuse is. And indeed, I finished the fanfic and I've got it still. That's what's next on the Patreon then, I guess, after Secrets of. Yeah, what it is, is before they started doing Flicky's Island in STC, but when I had played a lot of the game, I submitted through the post a script... For a treatment of, for my my version of Flicky's Island, I basically applied to write for Sonic the Comic by sending in a full script for Flicky's Island. Yes, I remember you mentioning in a previous episode, must have been two issues ago, mm-hmm. when you knew Flicky's Island was coming, mm. you said that you would get to see if Nigel Kitching had, had used, used any of the any... ideas from your script. Yes, and at this stage it's clear that he hasn't. Obviously he didn't even read it. Uh, yeah, of course not. Uh, I'm pretty sure even back then, that was, you couldn't do, you wouldn't couldn't do read that. unsolicited scripts because... No. You get sued. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, right, well then, I shall simply give the internet my wonderful vision for uh, for Flicky's Island. So I've started writing this thing up as a fanfic. And uh, just to check if I was right about this, I did look in my folder and, and I fired it up and I had a little look at it. And it's clear that I've put Secrets of Mobius aside mm-hmm. in order to write this, because it says at the end of it, like, now I'll get back to writing End of Mobius 2. But um, it doesn't look like that much of a disaster is the thing. It actually looks kind of all right. And it's this... Um, no good for Patreon then. No, I've just, I've skimmed it. But what's interesting about it is that I obviously started writing it either just before issue 100 or as a deliberate, like, alternate universe to issue 100. Because the whole premise of it is that Sonic sends Supersonic to Mobius to do the EMP. Mm-hmm. But there's no EMP. Oh. Things go wrong, and everyone thinks Sonic is dead, and like things are a bit of a mess. Like they've survived in other ways. Like you know, ultimately they're fine. Mm. But um, the story carries on from there. But it's got references to stuff that you never see in Endomobius stuff. It's got references to like techno and short fuse and stuff, and it's a little bit more up to date. So it's interesting in that way. An interesting curiosity, mm. if nothing else. Then. Yeah, an, an alternate treatment for Flicky's Island. Yes. A branching timeline version of Flicky's Island. Yeah. Because regardless of what happened in issue 100, hmm. Flicky's Island would have happened anyway. Yes. In some form, exactly. because it was the next game. Exactly, yeah. So that's, so, The Metafuse. The Metafuse. Yes. That's I, a crap title, though. We'll get that to you in some form over time. Lessons. Psychically beam it to you. Yes. Handwrite your letters. The only other thing noted here is that somebody called Silverstar is making an End of Mobius website for me. Oh, bless. Never happened, of course. No, I don't believe so, no. I, I feel like any time anybody making a website is mentioned in the diary zone i can jump ahead to the conclusion that it's not happening not gonna happen no we aspired to make websites in those days we didn't make them you could have yes you did just gotta get on that geo cities i know i'm sorry geocities (laughs) 
Sunday the 1st of June. Here's a little flashback. You tell me if you got on this train, Chris. Mm. Downloaded on Silver Star's request, presumably so that we can collaborate on the making of the website, ICQ. Did you ever have ICQ? Oh, gosh, no, I never did. Oh, did you not? That was a bridge too far for me. Yeah. Using a whole separate thing to speak to people whenever there <laughs> were chat rooms you could just do in browser windows. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it, and I've, someone's had to tell me to get it. I do remember it being brilliant, though. Like, me and Abby and all of our Sonic friends, we used to... For a long time, we would all meet up on ICQ. I mean, it's just the oldie days equivalent of Discord now. It's yeah. just that you can also use Discord in your browser. Yeah, and I've remembered that, of course, we replaced it with... AOL Instant Messenger at some point, an MSN yes, Messenger. Yes, I was an AOL Instant Messenger user, yes, I did use that. Yeah, and then eventually, when you had ICQ, and you had Instant Messenger, and you had MSN Messenger, then you had to get Trillion, because that was one that incorporated all of those accounts, and you could just talk to everyone. And that's why forums took over for a decade or so. <sighs> I'm, I'm making that up, you know, but that's what happened. Could, could that's be. what happened. That is know? what happened, that's exactly what happened. Um, so Forums took over, and then now it's Discord. And it's a step backwards, just like I are. You know, we're lucky to have a diary here to tell us what happened in these days. But mm-hmm. all that IRC, uh, ICQ, it's all lost now, just like all everything from Discord mm-hmm. will be lost eventually because it's not scraped or archived in any way. Yeah. Forums still exist, at least. Mm-hmm, yeah. So if you weren't there, listeners, Chris is right there. Imagine Discord. It was just a list of names. You you click. It was down in your little taskbar near your clock. You clicked it. Up came a list of names, and you got a little. Every time you got a message and you clicked it and there was your friend saying something. What ICQ did, which none of these others have ever done since and was mm-hmm. fascinating and was like, if, if there was such a thing as ICQ only culture, then it was this. You could switch on, optionally, real time mode which meant that you could see the other person as they typed. I don't mean you could, sorry, I don't mean like a webcam. I mean no, you no. could see the words appearing as they typed. Yeah. Oh, oh, right, Instead right. of waiting until they hit enter. You could see, so you could see when someone t- you know, typed something wrong, then deleted it, and then rewrote it. Well, it's absolutely no, sorry, the way you said, nothing has done this since. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I'm like, rightly so. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have that. That's bad. But what it meant, bad. But what it meant is that a little... Bit, a little, just a froth, a little tiny, the tiniest little dusting of a ICQ culture built up where you did jokes via that. You would type something. You know how now you might write the first word and then the joke is you've crossed that out and then put the yes. thing you mean. In those days, you would delete it and write the real thing and everyone knew that was a joke. There you go. So you could see what it meant was that instead of having the three dots, like someone is typing and you yeah, have to decide, typing, yeah. do I barrel on ahead or do I hold off the thing I'm about to say to see what they're saying? And then you get those standoffs where the three dots come up and, and everyone's off the keyboard on the keyboard because they're seeing other people are typing and then eventually nobody says anything because of it. Instead of that, you could see what each other was typing and respond mid-sentence to it because you knew where they were going. Stuff like that. It was fascinating. See, that's bad. That's just that's just the equivalent of talking over one and each other in real life. It was. And that in group chats was fascinating. When you had like five to ten people all typing at once and you were reading them all and then changing what you were saying accordingly. It was... Why would you ever even bother hitting return? Sometimes you didn't. It was the closest yeah. I've ever felt. Just get on a friggin' audio chat. That's to... this is like one step removed from voice chat. Well, there wasn't voice chat. That's the thing. We didn't have the that's internet okay. for that. 56k, you're joking. Yeah, I know, I know. We didn't have broadband back then. I see you. It's so unbelievably good that I sent it to seven people. Jess, Sabrina, E.G. Foxfire, Andy, Scorp, Chaos, and Base Otara. 
I have on my list Silver Star and Emperor Sonic. You know, things don't change that much, though, do they? No! In the grand scheme of things, like names like that... Couldn't you see all of those names on our Discord? There's not even a shred of cringe about that. No, and by the way, if I just read your name out and you hear this in the future, get in touch, I remember you, we're still friends. (laughs) Unless I'm forgetting anything and we fell out, but I've forgotten it, so we're still friends. So that's how it works. As far as I'm concerned. Not me. We're enemies. (laughs) Yeah, because you're Sonic fans. (laughs) Monday the 2nd of May. Shave Matashoff. First shave! (laughs) There was a way you you read that out. I don't know if you consciously know Uh you did this or not. Uh You read that out in a higher voice. In a little boy voice, yeah. You were doing your impression of yourself. I don't know if you were consciously doing that. Dude, I remember this. I remember why I did it. It was because there was a boy at school. Let me tell you about this boy at school because he's going to be relevant. I suspect uh, this is a story that will mirror much of my own experience. Do go, do go on. Oh, gosh. Well, so there was a boy at school and um, he was... Now, what shall I call him? Because I don't want to name him too much. Just because it wouldn't be fair. Uh, Brad. (laughs) Perfect. Kid Chameleon. Perfect. There was a boy at school. Do you see how I've already jumped ahead because I know the role he will play in the story? And he was the sort of boy, if I can make the reference I've made previously uh, that fell on deaf ears, he was a McCavity. He was not the boy who did the bad things necessarily. He was the boy that the boys who did the bad things did them for. A ringleader. A crime boss. A crime boss. The kingpin of the school, yes! if you will. <laughs> Something of a little genius. And the thing is, there was a tragedy to Brad. It was clear that he was punching below his weight, as it were. He 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 had he had smarts. He could have applied himself. But just circumstance I don't know what his life was like, but I'm guessing it wasn't great at home. And he had just fallen into the aspiring crime lord role i i don't know either he is now in jail or an extremely sound bloke no in between but he was a bit of a stirrer and his 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 chief officer was this boy who who i'm going to be calling walter who was i've no better way of describing him frankenstein's monster he was huge hulking eyes slightly looking out in different directions Slack-jawed grin, everything but the bolts. Flat head, completely flat head, to the point where, like, when we were having a day where he was approachable, that was the joke about him. Like, everyone would put their hand on his head and it was totally flat. (laughs) This is a boy who, we measured this, we watched this happen, came into school clean-shaven, and was like full Fred Flintstone five o'clock shadow by the end of the day. Uh, Right, right, right. He was testosterone personified. And he was the one who would do what you would call the bullying. Yes. Right, boss. Yeah. Get it, Muggsy. Get it, the bird. Okay, Rocky. Brad, though, he was just the stirrer. He would just go around kind of like... He's the kid who would come galumphing up to your table and, like, bang down his elbows to do a cutesy lean on his chin. Oh, my God, I hate him. I hate him immediately. And do a, you know, almost bat his eyelids at you in an annoying way. And he's scattered all your work everywhere. He's the one who would just pick up your stuff and go, hmm, and pass it to someone else for them to steal. Do you know what I mean? That kind of kid. Oh, he was such a little crime, but he was such a piece of but he's got an arc, and I end up being friends with him. Anyway, he used to come in every day, and he would just clap eyes at me. 
Shave your tash! <laughs> and of course, maybe you know little Dave, it has not occurred to me no, the slightest. that this that is developing on my face could be called a moustache. And of course it wasn't, it was just the lightest of wisps. It was wispy, spidery hairs. Presumably revolting to look at, and he was absolutely right to tell me to get rid of it. Um, and so I do remember, I remember being given my first little buzzy, little buzz, little buzzy shaver, busy buzzy shaver, and I didn't know what to do with it, really, you know. And so I remember my, I remember my dad... Teaching me how to shave. I remember him saying, you're probably going to want to look in a mirror and you're probably going to have to pull some funny faces while you do it. (laughs) You remember him saying that? That's it. Yeah, Chris is doing the faces. I'm still today. I mean, it's just the way it works. Yeah. What nobody really took into account, though, and, and, you know, ours was a house probably built in the 60s, so there was no little plug in the bathroom. Uh. No little two-pin plug in there. So I had to plug it in in my room, you know, by the little four-way that I had down by my desk under the bed, because it plugged in, that was where my hi-fi was plugged in. Well, there I was, squatting on the floor, because it had, you know, a curly lead, and so it didn't stretch to the mirror, which was on the wall on the other side of the room, like I would have had to go all the way over there. So Mm. I'm just guessing, and then I just put it down, I just put it down, because I I wasn't clever enough to think about the fact that there would be product, that there would be a a prestige materials of this shave. So a little a heap of hair just started to build up on the floor where I kept my shave. Oh, you didn't even... Uh. <laughs> I know, I didn't think of it. I didn't know that would happen. And one day I just picked it up and went, oh, what's that? <laughs> well, no, yeah, same story. Boys at school were like, ah, stay to you. And so I had to be like, dad. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and you will recall I have three brothers. Yes. Each of one of whom in succession peered round the door <laughs> as my dad was showing me what to do, you know. <laughs> Momentous event in the household. Uh, yeah. Specifically, it came after one of said boys in art class when we were doing life studies. Just, uh, yeah. just of our, but this was still whatever age we were, so we weren't, you know, we weren't on the no nudies, no nudies. Yes, was, <laughs> I was trying to think of a more tasteful way of phrasing it. But yeah. So it was just uh, we were just drawing each other, volunteering, doing whatever, mm. you know. And in one case, someone was chose to emphasize. Oh, that aspect. That's the moment, isn't it? And that's it when like, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to knock right, this on the end. Enough of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> Told you there'd be some similarity. Yeah, that's identical, even down to the point that it was design class where he used to say this. That was where mm. I, I had the same class with him. So um, there you go. The 2nd of June, 1997, Dave's first shave, everyone. <laughs> shave boomer, they call him. <laughs> That should have been what they called you in school the next day, but I bet they didn't because they didn't have a tit or a wet. No. <laughs> if I'd been there, that's what I'd have called you. Oh, do you know, Brad, do you know I said he had a tragic side to him? I don't know if he'll come up in the in the diary again, mm. so I won't tell the full story, but like oh, he, yeah. we ended up being friends with him, and part of that was because he was always with us, and you start to realise that's because he didn't have didn't anyone have any else friends. to be yeah, with. Yeah, that's it. That was acting out. He wasn't, like, expressing mm. some hatred of you. Yeah. He just wanted somebody to hang out with and didn't know how to do it. If anything, he was making friends. Yeah. Yeah, that was how he thought to do it, yeah. Yeah, but I'll tell you the moment that it... <laughs> The moment that it happened, basically there was a tipping point where we went from like, we're essentially enemies to like, oh, we could be friends, was the day we realised we were both into Little Shop of Horrors. And and he, he, a little crime lordy man, the man who definitely did drugs before the rest of us, you know, that kind of guy? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He went, you, um, you into Evita? <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. He, he out Lloyd Webbed me. 
Now that is an arc. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. You don't expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, know, uh, I, I am known to enjoy the classics. <laughs> you know, a real, a real man of refinement. Yeah. Sitting in his little booster seat in his little <laughs> tuxedo and tall hat while <laughs> Walter stands behind him. <laughs> Wednesday, the 4th of June, 1997. Two days later. Tip of the day. Grass on Walter. Grass on Walter today. He's been nicking pens, pencils, stationery, food, and recently destroyed my calculator. I do mean destroyed. This morning he tried to steal and destroy my watch. Now, I'd forgotten that, but as I'm reading this, I'm remembering stuff. So this is when we're 15, and so... Things are getting weird. Things are getting awkward. The boys who want to be violent can be now. Do you know what I mean? They're properly... They don't just have to settle for watching wrestling anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're all knuckles and elbows, and they're all gawky and lanky, but powerful as well. Like You can do some violence if you want to. This Walter, the Frankenstein, would go past every day as we sat on... Um, it was outside our form group, so I bet this happened first thing in the morning. Walter would come by... And he'd go, what's it? I'd have to give him my what's it's or something like that. So he's nicking me food and I'm giving it to him because I'm not going to get into a flipping fight with Frankenstein's monster. Look at him. As it says, here, he's been nicking pens, pencils. He's just stealing. All, he steals all his stuff and he can't then go through the day. You've not got your stuff. You haven't got your pens. Mum's starting to go, why am I buying you all these pens? So I've grasped on him. I've finally grasped on him. It doesn't say who I've told. Good man. Well, is it good? You know, do you want to be a grass? No, I'm 100% on the side of grassing whenever it's situations <laughs> like this. Grass the f*** out of him. <laughs> but then it says, now he and Brad are being excluded. Got him. Oh my God. That's it. Little Policeman Dave. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> and Brad will feel that. Well, I see, I could have stood up to them though, couldn't I? Maybe this is where I learn, eh, next time I'll do something for myself instead of leaning on the adults. Maybe I got some blowback from that, so next time I go, I'm sick of you now. But it... And maybe that made... I, I don't know at what point I start getting respect off this kid, but I do at some point. Maybe it was then. Who knows? And finally, we have a little bit of actual Sonic content, but not the bad sort. <laughs> Saturday the 7th. I'm in the chat. Talked uh, today... Not a great start. Well, okay, but... Talked today about Spaziante's art mm. and how the Americans are used to his huge eyes that he draws on Sonic. <laughs> That's fun. Isn't it? A little snapshot from the time. Yeah. Referring there, folks, to those who do not know, to Patrick Spaziante, the, uh, probably the most celebrated artist yes. on Archie's comics yes. for, in its formative years. Mm -hmm. Well, before Tracy Hardley came along, at least. Oh, yeah, in its, in its 90s era. Yeah, the yeah. 90s era, yeah. And my response to seeing scans of this wonderful artist are apparently, and is it meant to look like that? Decap <laughs> <laughs> Attack. Wish. Written by Nigel Kitching and Richard Rayner, art by Nigel Kitching, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Sent tumbling into the castle cellar during another fight between Chuck and Igor, Head knocks over an old bottle, releasing a pixie named Peter from inside it. Peter grants Head's wish for Igor to be a nicer guy. But before long, the decappers realise that a big soppy Igor is even more insufferable than the normal nasty one, and Head wishes him back the way he was. Point one, Nigel's back. You know, I didn't even... I think I finished reading the strip before I even realised so, that he'd drawn it. Yeah. Because it's decap, isn't it? This is what decap yeah, looks like. This is what decap looks like, yeah. Yeah. Love it. I now have two artists 
who I love drawing decap. Mm. I cannot imagine anyone else doing it, but then there was a time when I would have said that about Nigel. Um, but whatever, love them both. It is nice to have some Nigel drawings back. Yeah. And that is not any besmirching on the McMahon ones, which I flip in love as well. Not at all, not at all. He hasn't drawn Sonic yet. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, page one. Binkety bonkety binkety bonk is the precise sound that a skull bouncing down some stairs should make if it is done funnily correct. And there's just a bottle lying on the <laughs> stairs labelled Pixie in a bottle and he knocks it over and golly lollipops, it's good to be out of that bottle. <laughs> How the heck are you? I'm Peter the Perfect Pixie, of course. What a glum little face you have. <laughs> He's sad because Chuck and Igor are always fighting. He wishes Igor wasn't such a rat. Uh-huh. Well, it's like Peter at no point says, you know, oh, you're getting three wishes. Here you go. Head's like, oh, if only Igor wasn't such a rat. Mm. And Peter's like, so that's your wish. You mm-hmm. wish Igor was your pal. And then he does a big wink up into the camera. I do love the way Nigel has drawn Nice Igor. <laughs> of, in the time-honoured tradition of nice versions of people, he has got his hair combed yes. in a centre party. Centre party, and he's wearing a nice cardigan, and he's got sensible shoes and trousers on. And he's just a big smile on him. In the 90s, a cardigan, that was the definition of a nice, sweet little mm. person. Because you, you're, you're old... Cozy. Your old Nana wore a cardigan. Still probably does now. Yep. Wherever she may be. Yeah, and he just bees really nice to them. You know, picks head up, puts him back on uh, on Chuck's shoulders, offers to loosen Chuck's bandages. And yes, and they all hate it. It's really annoying. He's being nice and it annoys them. Sam ain't screwies at me, really. Page three, Nigel Kitching has discovered that Vus by itself is extremely funny. Yeah, I feel like it's happened before, but I enjoy it. has it. happened before. It happened in the last couple of ones. Oh, it happened when um, the Thin Controller... Uh, said something to him. Yeah. She was yelling at him. Like, yeah, uh, he's in the middle of. He's just in the middle of an experiment. He's just got an arm on the table with stuff plugged into it. Big severed <laughs> arm with wires and stuff. And look at Igor's big stupid grin as he runs. And Could, hi, Prof. How's it going? Can I help? Can I? Can I? Huh? Wait, I never <laughs> noticed this for the rest of the strip. He's trying to build a man, and you never see what's going on. You never see the guy's head. No, you never see the head. You yeah. just see an arm, and then the arm sewn onto a, the side of a torso, and then it gets unstitched again. Quite possibly there's no head on up there yeah, yet, you know? Quite possibly. We never find out what that is. We do, he's just make, he's making a Rocky Horror. Making a man. He's making a monster, because yeah. what he does. Yeah. It's his job. <laughs> it is his job. What is going on here? Well, this... Pixie granted me a wish, and uh, Peter's sitting there, just sitting on that big purple thing that makes up Chuck's elbow. Now, you realise, of course, that only you can see me. What are you talking about? Oh, eh, uh, nothing. <laughs> then Igor tries to tell him he loves them and wants a big hug, and instead Chuck rips the arm off the monster and beats Igor with the soggy end. God, what a... just... I, I'm just tuning back in. To what a great cast of characters this is to make a silly Halloween comic about. The fact that these have been grandfathered in from an unrelated product is so strange that this was ever... The scientist, his helper, and the monster they made. Yes, but look at them. There's a skull on his head. Look, (laughs) He's got a face down there that he can duff you with. The, The scientist is such a good design for a scientist, and it's not the one... It's not the one from the game. Nigel has expanded out his hair of his own. Uh, it's made it his own. And it's That's always so what good. I used to say about whenever I actually played the game. Yeah. I'm sure I've said it on the show before oh, years sure. ago. But when I actually played the game after reading the comic, yeah. 
the designs in the game always felt like it's not the case, but it really felt like somebody trying to copy the way Nigel drew them, but not being very good at yeah. it. Yeah. In fact, like, hold on. Just to refresh your memory, look at this. Look at that. Yeah. I've just posted the screen that's got the original Prof and Igor on it from the game. And they are nothing to do with the ones that we're used to in this comic, except for that they're both riffs on the scientist and an Igor. Like, I think the truly fascinating thing is, though, if you go back to issue 10 mm-hmm. and you look at the first mm-hmm. page of Decapitate, yeah. how much it looks like this and how much it then completely changes on the second page, which now makes so much more yeah. sense to us after we interviewed Kitchen yeah. and he revealed that he drew the first page on spec. Yeah. <laughs> and then drew the rest of it after they said, yeah, all right, go on then. Yeah. And if you look at the, the difference between the first page and the second page, it's like it's it's that Igor's got the red eyes and Frank's hair is is much more like that. Yeah. But then on the second page, it's full on, hey, you life! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Decapitate, it's so good. I really hope whoever made the game doesn't mind them printing these one day. <laughs> <laughs> Print them, they're so good. Make more of them. Give them the license. Just hope there are no more ones about football. <laughs> I would accept. Do you know what? I would take for the team. I would have another one about football if it meant. If it meant you could get them all collected. <laughs> and a new batch of episodes, yeah. And that, that's about it, yeah. Mm. Uh, as we said, uh, heads, I've seen enough, turn him back. And then just big wild takes are going, just do it! And he goes back to normal. They go back to fighting and a time honoured kids cartoon ending. Any more wishes? Oh, shut up. Because, you know, back in the, back then, a character telling another character to shut up was just a height of comedy to close out a story with. Yeah. Next issue, bonus Sonic strip, The Zero Zone. Ooh. Graphics Zone. International Zone. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? It's actually not that bad. It's not that it's bad. Not. It's if not they kind of got away with it, it's fine. Yeah. Paul Sims kicks us off. He sends this one in from Brown Hills in Walsall, and it's uh, it's an Egyptian Sonic. Yep. Sonic wearing a headdress and holding accoutrement. I'm not sure what exactly it is that he's drawn. I'd call it, I would have thought of an ankh or a, a little scepter or something. I think that's what he's got, yeah. yeah. That's all it is, and, and STC have captioned it. Just like an Egyptian. Well, they've titled it just like an Egyptian. Ugh, yeah. It's fine. It's just Sonic wearing wearing that. It's a it's it's, it's like a piece of Sonic stock art almost with that stuff pasted over it. It's, it's fine. <laughs> the closest I think anything gets to dodgy is this next one from Jennifer Myhill in Chatteris in Cambridgeshire, who has sent in a picture of a blue girl echidna, uh-huh. which you can tell because she has eyelashes, lipstick, and a hairband. Yes, and she's got a red dot in the middle of her forehead. Yes, and I don't. I genuinely don't know. If she's tried to draw like an Indian echidna. Yes. Or is it a jewel like or is this Omni Echidna? Is this uh, Omni Echidna? Because yeah. obviously that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> it's a blue echidna with a jewel in the middle of their forehead. Yeah. But uh the caption is kind of what they, like that's fine, even if that is what it is, like whatever. That's yeah. that's fine, that's great. But the caption is this echidna looks forward to an Indian summer. You see, we've done a reference there to a thing. Involving the word Indian, and that could be worse as well. They've 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 done yeah, worse. They've before. done. They have <laughs> done worse specifically with India. Yes. So you know, fair enough. Although you know, the name Jennifer Myhill, you know, sort of changes the yeah, context a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, down below, Tim Rogers from Winsford has sent in. Well, they haven't captioned this anything. They, he sent in a sumo sonic. They didn't need to caption it because Tim's written sumo in big bubble letters. Sumo. If he had not written it, he, oh. I would not have no. concluded that's what has been drawn here. Wouldn't have had the faintest idea, no. 
he's got a sort of hat on. Do sumo wrestlers have a uh, sort of hat on? No. No, it's it's like a zipping along Dragon Ball cloud, isn't it? That he's yep, got wearing. Yeah, it is, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's a hat or hair. Could be hair. Oh, it not could. that that is an explanation either way. No. And doesn't there's no point dwelling on it because almost a scratchy and co hairdo or something that he's got yeah. there. He's got a grass skirt on or stripy shorts. I wouldn't call it a grass skirt. It's the closest thing to anything. One of the garments that sumo wrestlers wear. Not sure what the proper name for them is, no. but uh it's the close and and he's got bare hands and feet. Yes. Don't like it. Do not no, like the, it in the, the slightest. Feet in particular trace the toes almost as far up the foot as like the bones do like he's got long spindly toes (laughs) i'm not in thick yellow yes he's got a fungal problem there carl morton from ministerly in shrewsbury in shropshire has sent knuckles hawaiian style yes it's knuckles it's fine it's just and that's exactly what it is he's on the beach He's got a nice drink with a slice of lemon and a straw. He's got his sunglasses on. He's got a, you know, a wreath of flowers around his neck. He's got a grass skirt on. And he's got a little crab scuttling up to him on the beach there. What a nice time Knuckles is having on the beach. And of course yes. it's, it suits him, doesn't it? What would better suit him, perhaps, is the one that Nicky Melwig Latson from Amersham in Buckinghamshire has sent in down below, which is Rasta Sonic. Yes, who has uh, the traditional Rasta hat on his head and then some dreadlocks simply coming out of that as though they're a piece yep. with the hat because he's still got all his spikes, you know, in the normal way. As one might expect. Mm-hmm. Right of that, an anonymous... So- wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I've just spotted something. Just going back to the last one. Nicky, Nicky Melwig-Latson, has done a little signature there in the corner. He's signed his name NHL. So it's probably his name is Nicky Helwig-Latson, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. Do you know... I didn't even read that as English letters for whatever way he's drawn that. I genuinely assumed that um, this piece of Sonic artwork here, which seems to be copied from something, and then he's put the dreadlocks and the hat on. I presumed it had a piece of uh, Japanese text in the bottom right, which he had uh, replicated clumsily, because (laughs) the way he's underlined each of the letters makes them look like faux Japanese characters. It's it's a bit like that time they did the Knuckles competition with a made-up Japanese font. Yes, bit, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, sorry, I just noticed that. So they've got his name wrong, clearly. Unless that, that can't be an M. No, no, you're right. I think you're right. So Nicky Helwig-Latson. Helwig. We apologise even if Sonic the Comic doesn't. Over to the right of that, an anonymous artist has sent in Roman Sonic, uh, though I'm not, you know, that sure what makes it Roman, I guess. But he's got, I suppose, he's wearing a toga. toga. Yeah. Um, I guess he, his spikes are all curled in an odd way, and maybe that's supposed to look like a laurel. It does look like a laurel reef, but it also looks a bit like Sonic 3D, doesn't it? That's it. Except there's just more of them. Little tiny thin spines that go out and then back. Yeah, that curl round like, like, like a laurel reef. Well, perhaps this was born of looking at Sonic 3D and going, it's like a Roman. I don't know why you would do that. I keep thinking that what's happened is he's been under attack. Cause yeah, that because he's got holes in his toga and he's got little white marks with red with lines on red him on his knees. Of, yeah, as, yeah. If, as if he's had slashes. I don't know, maybe he did not beware the Ides of March. Oh, that'll be it. He didn't beware the Ides of March. Yeah. yeah. What an idiot. I mean, it's June now, you know. Yeah. This is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then above that... Rule of threes, Dave, pay us off the okay. joke you've been making. Yeah, okay, so the, the little references I've been doing. What we've got here is a drawing of a Samurai Sonic, and it's a perfectly yep. good drawing of a Samurai Sonic that very clearly communicates that it's a drawing of a Samurai Sonic. He's got a katana, 
He's got yep. nunchucks. Yep, in both hands. He's got samurai armor. He's got the whole thing on there. Yeah, and of course he's got the helmet with horns. And so the editorial team have written on it, Sonic the Scandinavian. <laughs> yes, you you have to assume it's it's because it looks like the Viking helmet. Yeah, they just looked at the horns and they didn't look any further than that. They didn't cast their eyes down. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be more that this is a samurai. Well, well, I will say this has been sent in by Alaric Squires from South Nutfield in Surrey, and Alaric is a Scandinavian name. Oh, oh! So they might have put two oh. and two together and made five, accidentally. Well, or they might. I mean, they are want to make their unusual international comments about the names of the people sending things in. So it may only be a reference to that. So perhaps, yeah, well, well, the Viking-like helmet can also not be denied. But it's possible, yeah, they saw it was in by an Alaric, saw the Viking horns, and then simply did not look any further down the drawing. So I'm going to speculate that that's what... It's not just a random misunderstanding. I'm going to be charitable this issue. You know my, my mm. charity... Towards the graphic zone has been massively depleted in in, in recent memory when we learned of their scurrilous practices. But I'm actually going to be charitable this time and assume that they right. put two and two together and accidentally made five. Mm. It wasn't just raw stupidity. Mm. Sonic's world. Deception. Ooh, ah, ooh, what a tense and exciting single word story title. I hope the story pays it off. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Lou Stringer. Again, spoilers. <laughs> Written by Lou Stringer. Art by Andy Pritchett. Letters by Tom Frame. While hiking in the Rocky Valley Zone, Amy and Techno stumble upon what appears to be a crashed UFO and two hostile alien invaders. But it soon transpires the aliens are local criminals in disguise who have discovered buried treasure in a cave and are dressing up to scare off anyone who comes near. Amy tricks the pair into thinking the treasure is a fake, but when they start fighting amongst themselves, they cause a cave-in that buries the treasure all over again. Not unlike Captain Plunder, I do feel I'm reading material I've read a million times before here. This is a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> Not literally, I mean, it's just... it's. Yes, no, it's the taking the mask off the criminal to reveal they're just a criminal. But what it is... Not only is it a full-on Amy and Techno adventure, it's called Sonic's World rather than Amy and Techno. Yeah. I don't know if that ever happens. Is it ever called Amy and Techno, the strip? Oh, yes. It, well, it at least becomes Amy. And I think, yes, I think they call it Amy and Techno in the future. I'm still curious as to when that's actually going to kick in. Yes. But uh, this is their first true adventure together. Exactly. And look at them with their little sunglasses and headbands. Oh, they're having a nice day out. It gives them immediate gal pal vibes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I am in this instance not using that euphemistically. They they kind of just gals being pals. They just look like they're on a little hiking holiday that they've taken yeah. together. You got to have a break from killer robots and creepy villains, Amy says. And then they find the crashed UFO on <laughs> literally the next panel. <laughs> There's a lot happens in these five pages. It's yes. an entire Scooby-Doo plot crammed down into five pages. Well, do you remember we identified this in the early appearances of Lou Stringer as his thing he can do is cram loads into five pages? That's true, yes. You can really feel as if you've had a full-length adventure with Lou doing five pages. Yeah, these aliens open fire on them. And they're mm. like, oh, uh, aliens! And yeah. they're like, well, okay, you know. <laughs> As they bound behind a rock to escape the laser blast. Oh, I love the drawing of them bounding behind the rock. Isn't it Look great? It's very classic Sonic, isn't it? Mm. Just something about the quite thick outline around them. The, the Again, it's shape work. 
Mm, cheap work, yeah. And I like it a lot. And Himmy goes, don't like the look of yours much. <laughs> she jumps oh, I love that. Oh, hey, listeners. Don't like the look of yours much. That is a thing people... I've, n- I've not heard it in decades. No, I haven't heard that in a very long time. It's a bit It's a bit rude. When someone ugly goes by, it's something you say to your friends to imply that's your girlfriend, that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amy's immediately suspicious about them even being aliens at all, but they can't get towards the cave that these guys are suspiciously standing in front of, look like maybe they're standing in guard of. Techno whips out a machine she was going to use to find underground rock samples while they were out on their hike. It's a boring machine. Mm. And Amy says, yeah, it looks pretty dull, but so what? <laughs> I do, I'm slightly annoyed because I didn't remember this and I put that joke into something last year. And I'm like, oh no, I just stole it from STC subconsciously. <laughs> I don't think you did from STC. I mean, again, it's a joke. I've, it's just I've a joke, heard. yeah. Yeah. I think I read that joke in a Transformers comic with oh, a living memory, you know, like in, in <laughs> the last couple of years. Probably. So they use this machine to burrow under the aliens and come up right inside the cave. That seems like a long way round, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. Even Knuckles couldn't do better, Techno says. Doesn't she look pleased with herself? Uh, <laughs> yeah. In the panel where oh, she pops so up, big smile on face sunglasses fringe down over the one eye just even knuckles could do better and you know for the first time i don't know if it's something about that drawing but for the first time i look at her little grinning beak i look at her green feathers and i see ed the duck's girlfriend yeah Yeah, i can see it (laughs) but they come up right next to a plan on how to make a life-size model of a ufo out of papier-mâché and there's a big vat of mache right next to them Oh, yes, I didn't spot that. That's exactly what it is. I kind of thought that was, you know, some rubble has been dug out. But no, that's exactly what that is, of course. And then they find a big uh, chest of treasure. And then uh, the aliens come in there. And and then it's um, Brad and Walter. (laughs) (laughs) Come up and say, we ain't wearing it. We're selling it. Right, Sid? To right, (laughs) town. Local aliens, are you? (laughs) Says Amy to that. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And they whip the masks off because they've sussed out their secret. So what? They ain't leaving this cave alive anyway. They're thick. They're thick as two short planks, these two. They have chosen to do a Scooby-Doo plan to cover up the fact they discovered a chest of ancient treasure They were losers up until they did that. (laughs) They're carefully selling it bit by bit so no one gets suspicious. And they've dressed up as aliens to scare people off. That's not stupid. They're selling it bit by bit. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, that part, right. But then Amy (laughs) says, don't you know geek's gold when you see it? Geek's gold. Geek's gold. (laughs) It's a prop left over from a film made here called The Caves of Gold. Don't you read the newspapers? And they're like, uh, no. Fake. This is your fault. And they point fingers at each other. And I'm like, so have they sold any of it yet or not? Because if it is, if... I see what you mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do see what you mean. By the way, top of the page, where Amy says, a uh, bit of advice, lad. That lad, <laughs> yeah. that just saying lad, is Stringer's Amy Scouse. Because I can fully get on board with that if, it, if she is. Scouse Amy. Yeah. Scouse Amy. I can do Bit of advice, lad. lad. A damp cave is a poor venue for a fancy dress party. Can't you imagine... <laughs> I could, I don't know what, what it is about that but I can see that as working oh I love that Sonic he's dead <laughs> ducky he is 
Right, well, hopefully it does not turn out that Amy is Scouse, so I don't have to listen to that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was enough to disabuse you of the notion. <laughs> so they get into a fight anyway, and they have these fully functioning laser blasters from somewhere. Oh, yeah, because oh, yeah, they're just in disguise as they're aliens. They're just in but costumes they've got, real laser laser they've got real laser guns. <sighs> and the, a couple of stray shots as they get into this grapple brings the cave down, and they all, they run, hey, look what you've done, you nudged me. <laughs> And the, the the dim bulbs, what were their names? Tone and Sid. They all leg it outside. The treasure is buried again. And the two just slink off. Well, who cares? It was only geek skull anyway. And uh, then Amy and Techno hang back. And there's like, you got another one of those boring machines? There's some buried treasure to dig up and give to the local residents. You said it was fake. Oh, that was just to get rid of those donuts. <laughs> They're not the only ones who can play tricks, you know. Amy... You're a treasure. Someone in the Discord said, when they read Lou's Stringer Strip, they just add A readers to the end of whatever the last line is. And it's always good. Next issue, Zero Zone. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. got that wrong then. Right. Uh, well, yeah, no, because well, well we, we'll we'll come to the next issue page in a few minutes. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, um, mm. they got that wrong. Right. <laughs> Yes, they, uh, they got it right, sh- but just too many times. They got it right twice. Yes, there's another. <laughs> so, there's a Sonic's world and double Sonic. Yeah, yes. though it does make you wonder uh-huh. what Lou Stringer wrote it to be. Uh-huh. You know, did he write double Sonic, or did they just decide to bump up another Sonic's world strip that he'd already written yeah. and turn it into something else? Mm. Interesting. Anyway, enough to talk about that. The, the strip itself, uh, it's 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 a larf. Yeah, it seems to me in my memory to be. Not unrepresentative of the sort of larks Amy and Techno would get up to. Mm-hmm. Silly things. Scooby-Doo type plots. Mm-hmm. They will do other things too, like meet dinosaurs sent by God and, oh, and uh, cool. right. invading armies of human aliens uh-huh. and other stuff. But this kind of japery feels about right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure what else there is to say. I like That's Pritchett's it. work. I like how Pritchett draws Techno in yes, particular. It's Something sweet, really it? working for me here. Yeah. Draws techno. techno is a good design. Techno mm. is a design that is, I think, quite possibly, maybe I've said it on the show before, but the closest any STC original character design gets to really looking like a real Sonic out of the games type character. Yeah, yeah. She's got all the right proportions. Even if, obviously, they're all wearing big heavy hiking coats and trousers Uh and boots and everything in this, so they don't have totally the right Sonic proportions, but they're not... And it's weird to slam him in this manner, mm. but they're not Richard Elson guys, which are totally normal human bodies with animal heads on. Right. They do have, like, sonic proportion, generally speaking, mm. bodies throughout this strip. Carl Flint knew what was going on when he when he drew Techno that first time, and everybody's used it as reference since. Something about the sunglasses perched on Techno's head. is The sunglasses <laughs> and the hairband, those aren't part of Techno's usual kit. No. But God, they look... They look right. It looks don't so they? right. They, the, the hairband in particular, which the fringe is able to flop over. Over the fringe. Yeah. yeah. It, they look like a pair of mums on a little hiking holiday together. It's it's No, they're cool 20-somethings. No. They're not a pair of mums. No, they look like a pair of mums to me. You hung up on that lad part. No, they, to me they look like a pair of mums. 
They just do. No, they're cool 20-somethings. They're cool young 20-somethings. Look at the big hoop earrings that she's got. It's like... Um... Techno's always worn those. <laughs> yeah. Techno's still young. There's still so much she had to do with her life. <laughs> Is this uh, is, is this a separate crisis you're having here? <laughs> <laughs> live on this Sonic the Hedgehog podcast hosted by two 40-year-old men. Yeah, live on this recorded midlife crisis that we put out every two weeks. <laughs> Everything in this uh, issue speed length through the magic of email, no. though the first one has not provided an address. Imposter, STC have titled it. Oh. And it begins... Megadroid, I object to being accused of acting cruel towards Tails and Amy. Not only that, but I'm fed up that boomers think that Knuckles and I are friends. Apart from that, tell all the Humes who work on my comic that I really dig it. So keep up the good work. It looks almost as cool as I do. And that comes in from Sonic the Hedgehog. And Megadroid's response is <laughs> quite good. <laughs> you can't be the real Sonic. He'd never forget to put deer at the beginning of a message to me. <laughs> yes, that's interesting, isn't it? They, they do say dear Megadroid and dear STC. Yeah. This one's just Megadroid. Megadroid. Listen. Right, mate. It's interesting. Did we have another letter like this recently where somebody also yes, talked about Sonic being nasty? It's interesting that that was a perception among yeah. certain members of even the British audience back then. Yeah. They're being accused of being cruel. That was a... It's Yes. I don't quite know what it is they're responding to. Presumably people saying that in the comic. Yeah, because we are now, what, three years on from mm-hmm. the worst stuff? Like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since there was anything that anyone could take out of context and actively misrepresent as cruelty. Well, yeah, and there wasn't anyone doing that because there was no internet. Nobody was... Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, but I was that was the frame of reference I was giving for it, but yes. Well, I, sp- well, I suppose this comes through as an email, so maybe... Maybe they have heard people. Talk, it's but true. The internet could be doing stuff now. Who knows? But I don't think you know. But being as I'm, I now have only just introduced the concept of Fleetway. It was you personally to the internet. To the internet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's complimented by a picture to the right mm. from Mark Seeley in Northampton, which is a Sonic stuffed toy wearing the. Do you recognise this? Yes, dude? I do. Yes, the uh, the nerd. Kit, kit from yeah. one of what the first an advert Disney Channel adverts uh, yes. that were printed in STC, yes. which was a cutout, bowl cut glasses and buck teeth, and it is absolutely wild seeing it on a per <laughs> on a, not on a person, but seeing it applied to somebody uh. and immediately looking at it and going, "Ah, yes, Austin Powers," yeah, <laughs> which I don't think we did when we saw the ad. No. I don't think we but did. But that's Austin Powers. Yeah. But Austin Powers doesn't exist yet. No, he doesn't. Uh, so presumably Mike Myers then read this issue of STC and just... Yes, that's where he got the idea, got the idea. from his English. Yeah. But the reason I say it's a compliment is it's captioned, Another Sonic Importer. Uh, I mean, imposter. And that doesn't make any sense. I don't get that. Nope. Doesn't mean I don't make a Okay, well, sense. let's examine it. So the, so the picture is, it's a Sonic cuddly toy yep. with that face stuck on the front of it. Yep. And he's sitting on the beanbag of, and I didn't know you could get this, but it's a beanbag of that Sonic design with the black and grey checkerboard pattern and Sonic running, like the bed, like the yeah. folder that I had my diary in. Um, It makes absolutely no sense. I refuse to sit here and unpack it. Oh, maybe it's that Mark Seeley got his Sonic stuffed toy sent in from Scandinavia, where they make them. <sighs> It's one of the one of the rare ones. <laughs> it feels like it should even be like another Sonic imposter. I mean, X. It feels like maybe it should even be the other way around. Even though, even though import just me, it's nothing. It's nothing, and I'm I'm 
actively annoyed about it. Read me another letter to calm what me down. What on earth are you talking about, STC? Get Shorty! Dear Megadroid, could you please tell me when Shortfuse the Cybernic is going to return to STC because I'm really missing him, says James Boyer, Guildford Surrey, Sonic 2 Crucial Cup winner. And uh, Megadroid says, well, you don't have long to wait, James, as Shortfuse appears next issue in... Zero Zone. <laughs> no, How to Work Hero. Yes, the other story that was not mentioned. Now, they told us in the letters page last issue, didn't they, that uh, Short Fuse would be back uh, uh. next issue. And, and it does make me wonder when the letter was sent in. Because mm. we mm. know at this point they're holding on to these letters yes. if they have to. But it was by email, so it's wholly possible that they could have received it since Short Fuse exited the comic. Oh, yeah. What, uh six or seven issues ago. Oh, I see what you mean. You're saying that this is someone who could be missing him from a previous time when he was away. Yes, from before he came back and joined the yes. Freedom Fighters. <laughs> yes, yes, could be. The last one here is titled Tale of Woe, Dear STC. I think that us boomers just don't see enough of tales. And no, folks, this letter isn't from Sarah Rose. <laughs> don't see enough of tales. And I object to you making him act wimpy because he's better than all the other characters by far. That comes in from Peter Pimblet, which, Aww. I'm sorry, is the name of a wimp. <laughs> right in, Peter. From Liverpool and Merseyside. I'm sorry, <laughs> Peter, but um, maybe that's why you're so angry about him being portrayed as a wimp. But that is that is a Walter the Softy level name. Peter Pimblet. That's like that's like something James Patterson would write of a little guy who pranced around in the in the foreground of a Calamity James thing on pointed toe as he was. Oh, mother! I'm off to press flowers, and it would say a big arrow, and it'd say Peter Pimblet, local softy. That's just. I'm sorry, but that is 100% what that is. And Megadroid replies. Don't get in a spin, Peter. Since Tails' flipside story ended last issue, your favourite fox is set to return. So watch this space. He says, doesn't say anything. No, not much. No, no reply there. So James Poyer gets his shorty. Peter Pimblet, no such luck. On many fronts. <laughs> uh, anything in our mailbag? It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. An email here from Tom who says, Hey fellas, writing to give you lads the credit you deserve for not only delivering a brilliant podcast on the best piece of Sonic Media ever released, hey. but also a fantastic retrospective on the 90s. You guys are doing a sublime job, and I'm really excited for you to cover some upcoming stories, like the excellent issue 130 and the intriguing story or missed opportunity of the Black Emerald. Oh, that sounds like my sort of thing, doesn't it? I have a vague memory of a Black Emerald. But I've got a question for you both. Are the classic Sonic games actually quite difficult? The reason I ask this is that over lockdown, my friends and I started a friendly competition called The Wheel of Agony. Uh, it's not as painful as it sounds, thankfully. We nominated 12 games that are either notoriously difficult, like Cuphead on Expert, Streets of Rage 2 on Mania Mode, etc., or can be made difficult. Each week, a wheel would randomly choose a game from the list and we would see who would come out on top. Twas great fun. So much so that we're now up to Season 4, featuring 22 games, and with thanks to Twitch, dozens of new competitors. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds so fun. Anyways, you may have assumed we've had two Sonic games turn up on the wheel across Seasons 2 and 3. We've got Knuckles in Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 and Knuckles. <laughs> the former is notoriously difficult, as the pink one can't jump as high as Sonic That can. I understand. Mm, making the final boss significantly harder. Yes. And the latter game... Oh, oh... 
Mm. The latter game had to be done without saving. Oh, well. I thought we'd have to play the games in this way, as I'd always considered the classic Sonics fairly easy, but to my surprise, the vast majority of competitors couldn't reach the death egg on either game, let alone finish them. Cue a lot of complaints about how they aren't as good as they're touted to be and are far too unforgiving. They're clearly wrong, but I'm evidently biased as I grew up with the Mega Drive and have been playing them once a year for the past two decades. So what do you both think? Did I gloriously underestimate their difficulty, or were our new friends just not up to the challenge? I've never thought of them as hard. No, Sonic 3 and Knuckles is long. That's the thing. That If there's a challenge there at all... Doing it without saving, yeah. Yeah, but no, because... Okay, so I now and then will dip into Sonic 3 and Knuckles. And I won't... You know, you know, on Sonic 3 Air or whatever, I won't even put in a save file. I'll just start. Just fire it up and just start. Yeah. You've accidentally gathered 25 lives by the end of Sonic 3. Just no problem. Like, I don't understand. Like, okay, I do understand. Jokingly, we refer to this as Americans, but it's mm-hmm. it's just anyone who kind of wasn't a child at the time. Because remember, these games we think are easy. We were children when we played them and thought they were easy. So it's not as if just like... Yeah, it's like we were kids and you and I are not world-class video game players. Not good at games, no. no. So like, yes, we spent more time with them. And, and well, I'd certainly condescend to call Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 a bit tricky. Like, I can probably get through them, but, like, you know, I would generally just use level selects and so on. We've talked about that before. But Sonic 3 and Knuckles is a doddle. It's a nice, calm game. What makes it worth playing and rich is that it's so full of things. And, uh, well, listen, if you want to know what makes it rich and fulfilling and worth playing, why not hop over after this to the Retronauts podcast and listen to the episodes that me and Stuart Jip and Shea May have been recording about that very game, where we go into granular detail about why it's so good. Some might say... Too Too much much. (laughs) Um, But what I gather is that what we jokingly refer to as Americans, but can also apply to sort of, you know, younger players. Americans and young people. We need a a more concise term for them. Artists, it's not the same thing. No. But there is a significant overlap. But it's not anything to do with them being... We're not saying these young people these days. It's not an age issue. What it is, is that... Games are a different thing now. Certainly. I have found, when I go back to play older games that perhaps I never played before, Yeah. Uh, say, even uh, when I got the SNES Mini, you know, a lot of games on there I'd never played before because I never had a SNES when I was a kid. Yeah. Where I was extremely grateful for the save state feature on that because if I didn't have it, I simply wouldn't have bothered. Mm-hmm. Because video gaming has changed and the things we grew up accepting and learning about ways to play games... Yeah, but I don't want to be like, the young people today, they don't know how good they have it. Uh-huh. That we do jokingly on this show. Yes. But yes. this is a real question, and I don't want to just give that flip answer. Well, so the thing about what Sonic games are, the ones we refer to as the good Sonic games, what they are is they are a particular sort of game. And nobody else makes that particular sort of game, and nobody else made that particular sort of game then either. But they were most closely comparable with Mario. But that's mainly because they were both mascot platformers. The actual gameplay is completely different. Mm. So if you are someone who just has not had that kind of game in your world at all, 
then there's a learning curve. Yeah, it's like being given the rules of chess and told to play it. That doesn't mean you're good at it. It's like when people say that, you know, oh, I want you to go fast, but if you go fast, you run into things. And it's like, mm. well, not if you... I'm sorry, but not if you get good. And not if you're playing it properly. Like, well, yeah, because part of playing it properly is also dying repeatedly and then starting over and knowing that that's coming. You know, that's yes. part of the mechanics of the game is finding the most effective, fastest routes through repeated play. What people misunderstand about Go Fast in the Mega Drive Sonic games, or at least in Sonic 1 anyway, is that the game is not saying, here is a game you can go fast in, begin. Ah ha ha, we stopped you. No. What it is, is the game is saying, here's a platform game, play this platform game. And the reward for getting good at it is that you start to be able to really take advantage of the engine's ability to do speed. That is a reward that you get. The reward for learning how to play it is Mm. getting to go fast. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And you're invited to do that by the little intriguing, you know, like, here's a loop. You can run all the way around it. So you're fast. Oh, you can go fast if you get good at this. Because that first loop, you had to get good at the game to make it round the loop, because you had to take a run-up and not just be sort of mucking about and poking around and going at a walking speed. You know, it was easy. It was easy to get that good. It was the first step of good you had to get. But it was a learning curve. It was a tutorial. Now, the reason it exists, the reason Sonic 1 was made at all, was because Yuji Naka, I believe it was him, enjoyed Super Mario Brothers. Indicted criminal Yuji Naka. Yes, but one of the things he enjoyed about it was that you always, there's no save file, so you always start at level 1. So you get great at level 1, and you start to get this feeling of, like, being able to just twitch the right buttons to, like, get through that level really fast. But that's not what the game appears to be designed for. It's like, Green Hill isn't just icon because it's the first level of the first game Mm. it's because you played it over and Mm. over and over and over and the point of it the whole point this is in fact this is said this the point of the green hill zone was for you to do that and not get bored of it and look at us now we still love the green hill zone we still think it's good because we're not bored of it because it was designed for you to get better at incrementally and i'm still doing it now there's still stuff in the green hill zone i can't do and that I get better at every time I play it. That's what kind of game it is. Now, that formula changes, and so by the time you get to Sonic 3 and Knuckles, it's basically assumed that you've more or less mastered the mechanics of the other two games, and so they throw in some more stuff. So I can well imagine that what, to me, feels like simply a walk in the park. Like, to me, Sonic 3 and Knuckles isn't hard at all, and I genuinely think it's much easier to play than the other two games. But maybe it's got more systems. I'm not sure I agree with that, but... Would you not? I'm not sure. I don't have a thesis to present. I'm just not sure I'd agree with it. Well, I guess what I mean is that in the other games, you have level... Not the Green Hill Zone, but you have levels like Labyrinth Zone and Metropolis, where you have to work hard at getting through them at all. That's rare in Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Yes, well, you're right there. When I I think of a level that's like, okay, it's this one, right, Mm. knuckle down. Yeah, Metropolis, Labyrinth, Mm. even the Marble Zone to an extent. Yes, yeah, the Marble Zone, yes. Whereas I would say that Sonic 3 and Knuckles... Every level has an easy route for you to just wander through, but then you can master it and get better at it. Yeah, nothing in... I, well, I have that feeling about the Lava Reef Zone. I don't necessarily think it's because of anything in the Lava Reef Zone. I think it just might be the sort of like the slog point in the game where I'm like, 
are we nearly done yet this right. is the one this is the level that i know the lava reef zone is like to me the level that's standing in between the first bit of the game and the yeah. end game yeah and this is the bit i have to push past to get it you know yeah now i would say that the exception is the death egg zone i find oh yes that's tricky that's like a metropolis or something where it's like yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. we've got to get through this but i suppose i ought to at least admit that i remember when i was first playing through sonic 3 I spent a long time dying and having trouble in the final zone of that game by itself. Launch base zone is... But that's a long zone. Mm. I think it was STC itself in its walkthrough made the point that one of the biggest challenges is going fast enough to get through that thing in 10 minutes. Ah, yeah. Whereas now, I recently played it while boning up on the game for Retronauts, and... I genuinely couldn't figure out what it was I found difficult. But I did. I remember dying and dying and dying and dying. I'll tell you the thing about the launch base zone is that I would guarantee there are huge swathes of that level that I have never seen. I play it and I play it. I'm like, I still have the sense I'm not doing it right. (laughs) I don't know what it is about the launch base zone. I feel like I'm missing stuff. I feel like I'm not doing it right. Well, that's the thing about Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Every level in it is so dense and full of things that there are multiple multiple routes and those of us who have played it over and over again our whole lives find new stuff sometimes or appreciate or notice why something is good more and more and more i don't feel like i'm finding things in the launch base zone i feel like i'm not finding them (laughs) (laughs) but uh so yeah no it's an interesting point it's an interesting question i don't find them hard Mm. but i could understand why someone would it's interesting. I don't, I, I don't think there is a concrete answer. What I'd like to do... Is watch them play. Yes. Yell abuse at them over their shoulder. Yeah, Tom, if this is something that there is videos of, I would be interested to see that one, because it would interest me to know what it is that people find difficult. But to play a Sonic game, you are supposed to master... Not master, because that makes it sound too get good, but like... Yeah, yeah. But just like have in your hands the sense of the way the game works. And if you are expecting a Mario game, because those games, being a much simpler system of play, that has persisted. You know, they're still making 2D Mario games or or things similar to them now. Yes, I can well imagine that it may seem quite alien and it may be tricky to adjust to. So that must be it. But I'd be interested to know. Now, just to finish off the email, he just signs off. Keep up the good work, gents. And if anyone is interested in our little competition, you can find full details, including a link to our Discord, at https wos.kythias.com. Um, but I've been there and I didn't see links to videos. If there is such a thing as a VOD of this, I'd, I'd be interested to see it. Uh, and that is from Tom, a.k.a. Return of Octobot, Master System, Mega Drive, and Dreamcast owner, Patreon subscriber, and two-time Wheel of Agony champion. <laughs> so, thank you for writing in, Tom, and if you would like your letter read out here, then please write in to stctpodcast at gmail.com. Well, I think, wouldn't you say, that mm-hmm. takes us to the end of this issue? Yeah. But just before I read the next issue, Paige... There is one little bit of business oh, that I did want to take care of before we left. Okay. Happy birthday, Dave. Um, to who? To STC and STCTP. It's our fourth birthday episode. Oh. This is the fourth birthday issue. Right. Is it? Yep. STC huh. didn't choose to make any mention of it, so uh, oh, okay. neither did we. Right, well, I might go and have a little cake to celebrate, but... Uh, Apparently, it's uh, not worth uh, mentioning. 
That's unusual behaviour because there was no, there was plenty of space in the flipping control zone, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, I know. There's absolutely no mention of the fact that this is coming out on the 28th of May. Of course. Exactly one day before the release of the first of issue course. four years earlier. Huh. Yeah, not a single mention of it. Presumably because they'd already shot their wad on issue 100. <laughs> well, no, that was a while ago now. It was, it was five issues ago. That's a while I, I guess ago. They didn't feel, well, they've. I suppose none of the previous birthday issues have ever felt compelled to do any big anniversary story events or anything. No, but print a clip art of a cake. Look, the control zone, the whole section at the bottom where they could have printed a picture of a cake, is just them reiterating something they already said in the top half. Yeah. I just, uh, I gambled you didn't know that. I didn't so I know I'd that. save it for the end and drop it on you to for maximum irritation. If I'd have put a moment's thought into it, I could have worked it out based on the date, but I did not. Yeah. So four years we've been at this now. Oh, well, happy birthday, everybody, and happy birthday, Razorglass. Happy birthday, Sonic the Comic. Happy 30th anniversary, Sonic the Comic. Yes, of course, that's when we're doing this now. It is the 30th anniversary. Mm. 26 years from our perspective, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's the 30th, the, the 30th anniversary. The 30th anniversary in the real world. Yes. <laughs> what an old little thing, eh? No mention mm. of it. I mean, but then... I feel like if you're going to leave a birthday out, the fourth one is the one it's okay to leave out. <laughs> one, yeah, two, yeah, three, yeah, five, absolutely. Four, yeah. Okay, I guess, but I just don't think you should leave one out. No, I agree. Like, no, like, the first five, yeah. every time. Yeah. Then you're all right till the tenth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have to make anything out of the next five up until number ten. But yeah, happy birthday. Oh. It's good, because we don't get time to stop and be all maudlin. Yeah. <laughs> About yet another birthday party. But you know what it does mean? What? What it does mean is, we can still count on a solid, full year of four strips per issue huh? before the next of the thousand dying cuts is inflicted <laughs> upon us. Oh, in, right. After the fifth birthday. Well, see you next year, then, to commiserate. To start, you know, funeral preparations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, STC. We know it ends. It's in the past, it has to end, and it isn't going to do it for a while yet. Next issue! Smashing Cybernic! And we've got a piece of art here from Next Issue Strip, Out of Work Hero, as Megadroid named it. It's Corona art of, um, Short Fuse smashing a, a window? Smashing a shower door? It seems that way, yeah. But in a way where it looks like he's just sort of showing this guy that he's doing it. Yeah, well, if he's out of work because he's a hero... Oh, he's going like, to be... He's going to go get real job or something, maybe. He's a window salesman and he's accidentally smashed his window. And he's no good at windows. it because he's a robot. He broke the window. Right, okay. Oh, no, this is... That's going to be sad. That's the whole... It's like, we've already got that gag going on with Sonic, yeah. uh, where he's bored. Yeah. But Short Fuse's whole thing is that he is a superhero, and it's, yeah. it is... is Sonic sort of chose this life. You know, he chose to dedicate himself to stopping Robotnik, but Shorty had this life thrust upon him yes. whenever he was subjected to this experiment. It's It's been his whole raison d'etre, so... And, and, yeah. and, you know, metatextually, he is... A super, he's Lou Stringer's superhero character. Yeah. So we got to have a little play with that. What does a superhero do when the supervillains are gone? Yes, I just there's something to me a bit maudlin about the fact that when Sonic is bored, he kicks rocks and wanders about and talks to his friends. When Short Fuse is out of work, he has to like get a job. Capitalism is a problem for him. Yeah, 
<laughs> he has to make rent. Well, this is it. You know, I mean, maybe he'd be all right if he hadn't got in a strop, buggered <laughs> off, and completely missed helping to exactly. liberate the planet. It's like Sonic's Thank not going to have to. Sonic's not going to have to pay for a drink for the rest of his life. It's <laughs> short fuse. Oh, he's this is just sad. enough of an arsehole oh, that nobody's really buying him any shandies. Oh, any. this is sad. Okay. Uh, plus, <laughs> anyway, by the way, to that. by the way, I really don't like what I don't like the last issue page being in the middle of the comic these days. Throws you off, doesn't it? Yes, I'm nowhere near thinking about what's going to be in the next issue by the end of the second story. Put it before the last one if you want. I tolerate it yeah. as a way to ensure that there's no strip on the back of the pen. Yeah. But for now, in addition to this cybernetic story, we got Double Sonic, Flicky's yes. finale. And Zero Zone Plus... An Orbanaut Badnik pinup. They are still not done yet. <laughs> and Captain Plunder and the Spice Maidens. That's SEC 106 on sale Wednesday the 11th of June 1997. One £1997 and 25 1997 pennies. It bought you more back then. Yeah. But it buys you less than £1.10 bought you in 1993. Oh my god, I have to... I feel like I have to do maths just to know what I you know, just that, said. Did, that, that, was a, that was a lot of numbers thrown around there by both of us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm suddenly turning a maths show. guys. No. Number guys. When you're looking for that next episode, you will find it most places good podcasts are available, or you can download it directly with the power of your own hands and mind from our website at stctp.zone. Spanky pointed out that in episode 100 we, we called it wigglehee.com. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. I never noticed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's real bad form. It had been zoned for ages. I know. And we both listened to that one multiple times as well, but yeah. we didn't notice. <laughs> wow. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. It's at Sonic Podcast, and we're both on there separately. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Chris McFeely, and we're both on YouTube under those names as well. You can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash STCTP. Where we talk so much about the Patreon yeah. at this, but there's so much overlap between what we're doing on mm, the Patreon yeah. and what's going on in the Diary Zone at this point that I worry sometimes we're haranguing you with the Patreon stuff. Okay, but we should but do really. It, it's real. It's real and true and genuine. We need the funds, you know. We gotta, we gotta live. We gotta. We we've got short fuse problems. We'd have to go around selling <laughs> windows otherwise. We gotta um, buy our own shandies. But also, it's good stuff, and you like it. And we never put. An actual issue behind that paywall. Never, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever, ever. We're good, good little boys. Just having our first shaves. Those are uh, live streams, Thursday nights, every two weeks, mm -hmm. where we look at one of the Martin Adams Sonic novels or another chapter of Dave's fan fiction. And also every two weeks, you can hear our opening theme, which is called Synchronize. It's by Sonic the Comic the Band. You know them, we know them. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. And when we say that, we mean you can get our theme tune, if you fancy that. If you fancy we have our theme tune because we are <laughs> Sonic the Comic the Podcast and we will see you next time. time. Yeah, exactly. What? Yes. Huh? <laughs>